0: Well, we're recording, so uh, I would say you may fire when ready.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the NeedCoffee.com 36th edition of the Soundboard. My name is Rob Levy. I am, God help us all, steering the plane today for this podcast. I'm joined by Mr. Widget Walls, head bottle washer of NeedCoffee.com, and he is up all night till the sun. How are you, sir?
0: I, I am well. In fact, I do spend a lot of... I'm, I was up all night washing head bottles. That's what it is. I'm not exactly the head washer. I just wash head bottles.
1: And uh, I'm also joined by the illustrious J.M. Tuffley. How are you, sir? He, by the way, is up all night for good fun.
2: Hi. <laughs> yes. <I know>. Hello.
1: <laughs> and uh, together. Yes, that's right. We're up all night to get lucky. And we're hoping to get lucky on this podcast because and this will make total sense in two hours, it's analog. It's a very sort of unintentionally planned analog edition of uh, the soundboard, which does not mean you all have to turn off your listening devices. No, no, no. This will all make sense soon. But, yes, it is the analog edition. How are we today, gentlemen? Feel
0: uh, we well? I, I am good. I'm, I'm especially feeling uh, feeling spry for being an analog. Um, <laughs> <So laughs> It'll make sense. I swear. Hang on. Yeah, that's true. I'm I've got my eight track, so I'm good.
1: No, this will all make sense. I promise.
0: I've been so finally thirty six episodes in. It's finally going to all make sense. Is this is this like that story arc in a hundred bullets where it all starts to come together?
1: Spoilers. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Yes, kind of. Oh, good. This won't connect any of the other ones. It'll be a standalone. But the begin it'll wrap up in a nice sort of thing at the end. So we can anyway, broadcast we, this
2: again at Christmas.
1: Yes. So, um, anyway, three of us have all been, uh, rapidly trying to catch up with all the music that's out right now. It has been, I would venture to say, at least on my end, gentlemen, uh, since April, it has just been a mad dash sprint to keep up with all the records coming out and all the music coming out. So I thought we'd sort of, uh, start the podcast by sort of saying, okay, what's come out sort of for the summer that really did it for you. And, um, or that sort of stuck out in your mind, now it's a summer music thing that's sort of been flushed out of our system and we're moving into that crazy fall release system. What, um, what's, uh, what did it for you in the, uh, the early half of the year or the summer as they say, musically.
0: Definitely after you.
2: Oh, okay. Thank you, Edge. <laughs>
0: uh, I'm just being Sorry. kind.
2: I love being pushed into the wolves. Um, <laughs> I can start if you want. I mean, no, fun. I'll go. Um no, I, I did enjoy uh, the Genome record, uh Electric Lady, which uh is her follow up to uh Arc Android. Which is very nice, very nice and uh very very stylistically different from the first record. I think she was aiming to uh do a bit more of an R and B record. Mm. Maybe a bit of more of a soul record as opposed to a high energy dance record, which I thought was nice, um yeah.
0: although dance apocalyptic is uh not lacking in energy to be certain
2: oh no 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 no, and that that's true yep. but uh this this one does lean a little more towards the slow jamming, so yeah, definitely uh which is nice um I also liked uh I also like the Elvis Costello roots record that's just come out, uh which is wise up ghost. Uh, yeah, it's 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 not,
0: I think you were saying this on Justice, it's not exactly what you might expect.
2: Yeah, it's not what you'd think it is, and, you know, I'd expect, because usually with collaborations with The Roots, you know, the John Legend thing, you know, somebody rapped on the hook or something like that, and that that really doesn't happen on this record, so... Uh, well,
0: partly the, because Elvis Costello is not known for his rap skills.
2: No, but right. he did do it on that one country He's record he Christmas. did. <laughs> ouch <laughs> that one time yeah um and uh let's see i uh, i'm looking forward to a new wombat um that that oh, will actually still that, will, that will actually drop after we record this it's called your body as a weapon uh and that'll be interesting i'm looking forward to that
1: yeah where is that band gonna go what what weird place is that band going to
2: that, that's no. just gonna be fun that's that's all yeah. I know I'm looking forward yeah. to a fun record because then arcade fires back behind that and we all know how not fun that record's gonna be
1: so really you don't think it's that gonna be fun
2: arcade fire records are good don't get me wrong but I I, I I kind of hope that James Murphy has sort of removed the stick a bit because after three records it's getting a bit old but um you know well
1: it's got like calypso drums on it and some other different
2: yes but you can sound. be pretentious you you can be pretentious with calypso
1: it takes work oh, that's a shirt it That's takes... our that's our first that is our first shirt
2: <laughs> so i would love it if james murphy has removed the stick out of some of the members of uh arcade fire because i i, I don't think i can take another record of staunch seriousness so uh Really? Uh,
1: See, I thought they I I thought they were a little looser, like with their interviews and stuff. I I always thought they came across as sort of not live? as pretentious they come as... across
2: live they come across uh as a bit more fun than they come across on record.
1: Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. Um
2: but you know, after after three or four records of earnest seriousness, um hopefully Reflector will not be as serious. That would be nice because some bats, you know, it's the national. The national can get away with that because they stay away long enough that you're used to it. Um, Arcade Fire hasn't gone like three years between records yet, so maybe now that they have, maybe uh, maybe we'll get a less a less pretentious Arcade Fire.
1: Well, I thought I, you know, I thought they really helped themselves with Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Um. The, the, the skit where they did the uh, new cast member or member of Arcade Fire I thought that I was did, quite hilarious
2: I did appreciate that yeah
1: so I you know I think they're trying I think the problem that they have is that they're still fighting the, the stigma of being from Montreal and how do you sort of make an identity for yourself without people saying oh they're Canada's greatest band or something you know they're always sort of going to have that. Not, that not that being from Canada is a bad thing but they've always had this weird stigma about being, you know, oh, we're from Montreal and um, carrying that whole Montreal scene sort of into everything they do. And it's kind of like people are more concerned about their backstory in many ways, that they miss a lot of stuff with the records. Yeah. Um, So I don't know. I'm kind of looking forward to it. I think it's going to be fun. And the two or three things I've heard are really um, odd. I can tell you that when you hear Reflector... You know, like club setting with lots of people, it is really bigger than you think it is in terms of you hear more little subtle, subtleties in the sound. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I think when the album comes out, I'm gonna listen to it with headphones because I really think that's gonna make a difference. You know, or it's one of those things you have to hear with um, a couple a couple listens, sort of like the new Nine Inch Nails record. You have to sort of dig into that a little bit to really get to the meat of it. Um, but I'm looking forward to that. So.
2: Oh yeah, and, and I did want to add the Nine Inch Nails record. I thought the Hesitation Marks was uh was uh, very nice, very tasty. Uh as as I appreciated and this is gonna be weird because I I liked the more industrial stuff, the more guitar heavy stuff. Um yeah. but I also seem to remember that Pretty right. Hate Machine wasn't that, so I really did appreciate this record. Yeah. So that was nice.
1: Yes, Mr. Widget, sir. Uh
0: oh oh God, I'm gonna feel like an idiot because I've got this long list.
1: So I have a long list too. So you're good.
0: All right. All right okay. Fine. Uh, I'm I'm gonna back up to uh I'm gonna count May as summer because it's hot here. So that's what I'm going. No, that's with. totally fine. Okay. Good. Uh, because I'm I am I'm I'm with you. I'm like there's so much stuff that I have not listened to that's ridiculous. Um. I uh, I've enjoyed uh, from May 16th, uh, Simone and the Spectrum uh, has an EP out there out of DC. They have an EP out called "Keep on Talking," and the title track on that is uh, is quite tasty. Um, uh, there's also a uh, a band uh, called the All About uh, from May 18th has an album called "Suburban Heart." Um, the track on there that I would I would point you to to try it out is "Summer Sheets." It's uh, it's a nice album about um, I don't know, be, be, being young and optimistic and then being uh, where I am, being old and, and pessimistic, or as I prefer to term it, realistic, uh, it makes you want to drink. Uh, so I recommend that. Um, May 20th, there was a, uh, a nice experimental-type album called Isabel from a band called 17 Pygmies. Um, they apparently, uh, I, I just discovered them recently, they apparently do these sort of crazy, sprawling albums Uh, and i need to dig back through their uh uh, i think they did one with 33 and a third tracks on it which we can appreciate um so you can find that uh as well may 28th i did enjoy the free not just because it was free brass tactics ep um from david burn and saint vincent Um, this was the one with the i think it was one bonus track and then some
2: remixes um, yeah, this yeah. was the tour. This was uh they did a brief tour. Right. Uh, they went out on tour again, and this was the uh the thing they put out for it. Yes, so
0: uh, I would say the the my favorite off of that is the Kent Rockefeller remix of Lightning. Uh so
2: that was pretty tasty. Um And they may actually do something else. They may actually do another album, I've heard. Hmm. Which would be nice. That would that would be okay. Um, July 18th,
0: uh, a band called Aosun with an EP called What Is This About? Um, I believe they're out of the UK and the track is called Under. Um, it's sort of a moody female vocalist, uh, thoughtful sort of track, which I, uh, enjoy and listen to far too much of. Um, then something a little different. July 30th, uh, Tech Nine had an album out called Something Else which I like not just because that's a fantastic title for anything. Um, but uh, my thing is, I when it comes to like rap and hip-hop and such, I can't get into it unless there's like either really, really amazing beats behind it so I can forget about the lame lyrics, or really well-thought-out lyrics that somebody actually spent a few minutes putting together. Um, and that's what works off of this. Uh, the track I would point you to is called Fragile. Um, it's, it's quite tasty. Uh, sometime during August, I have no idea when it came out, but Sir Sly put out a single called Miracle, um, which is fantastic in that it's another one of those songs that I like in that if you're listening to it in the car with people, they might think you're listening to a happy song and wonder what's wrong with you. Then they listen to the lyrics and they go, oh, it's one of those. And I say, ha ha, yes, it is. Um, uh, August 31st, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, August 31st, a band called The Revival Hour put out an EP called The Wipeouts, um, which is, uh, as I understand it, a bunch of um, uh, different versions and and B-sides and such from their... B-sides! uh oh, analog! Um, from their previous album, and they do a fantastic cover of Sometimes I Feel Like I'm a Motherless Child on there. Uh, nice. So I would point you to that. Uh, September 2nd, I know this is probably on your list, Rob, but you'll excuse me, the 1975 um, yeah, with,
2: that was a good record
0: with their album called The 1975, uh, which you know it's bad when when even the you're older than even the title of a band. Sad, uh, but yep. I would I would point you to uh, if you st- uh, standout track for me is Sex, not just because it's called Sex, uh, but because it's a really great song. Um, uh, then September 10th, uh, the Reverb Junkie put out an album called All I Want. Um, This is, I don't know, apparently Michelle Shamuel, I guess it's called, from a band called Ella Riot. She was apparently on The Voice. None of this means anything to me. Um, The title track on there is quite excellent. Um, Then, September 13th, Naked and Famous, In Rolling Waves. Yep. The more I listen to that, the more I like it. And the track I would point you to is The Mess, which is, um, I don't know, kind of like the... uh, if you can imagine like um, a more mature chalets is what I think it would be, uh, but it works for me. Um,
1: not sep- not chardé, but chalets. No,
0: yeah, chalets, not Chardet, not chardonnay. Uh, <laughs> which, 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 if you if you think about it, a frictionless operator would be the sci-fi version of that song. Um, then September 14th, George Barnett. Um, I really liked his album from last year, Seventeen Days. Uh, I've been playing the shit out of the track Apocalypse, which is ridiculous. Um, but he, he apparently put out a, uh, I know 15,000 people did a cover of Get Lucky, uh, callback to the beginning of the show. Um, his was actually really good, um, and that's included on a mixtape he put out called The Red Tape, uh, and the track I would point you to is Down On Me. He apparently has an album coming out before the end of the year or next year, which this is sort of a teaser for, but it's excellent. Um... September twenty third, Peter Gabriel, and I'll scratch yours. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, some of this stuff doesn't work, like the Lou Reed track. I'm like that, that just does doesn't sound right. Um, but uh, I really enjoyed the uh, Regina Spektor Blood of Eden cover off of there. So your mileage may vary, but uh, but do check it out. Um, you know, different strokes for different folks. Um, I have heard, uh, looking forward to the future for a couple things, I have heard some of the tracks off of Innocence by Moby, and, um, I, you know, I, I, I like Moby, and I, I think the problem with Moby is that a lot of his stuff is, he's trying to put out albums that are like, sort of like, well, or something is wrong, pretty much he's trying to redo those two albums over and over again, um, which... You know, it's not a bad thing because those were really amazing albums. But um, I like the stuff where it's not that, because you can't. <laughs> I mean, because you can't touch those albums. I mean, because partly because play. I mean, once you've done old samples and put beats behind them, you've done that, and now we must all move on. Um, and then the stuff off of uh, uh, everything is wrong. Did I say something is wrong? Everything is wrong. Um, Everything's wrong yeah. Everything Everything's wrong. Um, all the tracks on there were just amazing. So, But I like Don't Love Me off of uh, Innocence. That is one of the tracks that you should look forward to. Um, and also, it's out in Europe, but not here. So I don't understand that. But apparently we're not getting it until a month from when we record this, October 29th. That's not when we're recording this. That's a month from now. Um, 65 Days of Static, their new album, Wild Light, has some fantastic stuff on it. But I would point you to Safe Passage. And um, just because it's coming out in Europe doesn't mean you can't find it on YouTube. So that's where I found it. Um, Nose nice hats. Yes. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> uh, and in general, I would say pretty much anything remixed by the Chainsmokers. They're pretty fantastic stuff. Although, uh, Rob, Big Gigantic did a fantastic Macklemore remix, which I posted on Facebook. Uh,
3: which yes, is, I heard that.
0: Which is just stupid. It's so good. Um, and I would also like to point out that I am looking forward to the upcoming... Uh, Extremely pretentious Coldplay Calypso album. Um, (laughs) What?
2: Why not? (laughs) Oh, Brian does producing that shit.
0: You're going to love the Banana Boat song, Rob. It's going to blow your mind.
1: Oh, no. He turned into some peon of uh, World Hunger.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, anyway. So that, that, done. Sorry. That's my...
1: Huge list. No, a lot of I, I, I appreciate your meticulism with dates and reference times. Wow. <laughs> <sighs> well, I have to say, first of all, that um, I think for me, the uh, two albums that boil down to the summer records are the Empire of the Sun, uh, Ice on the Dune record, and the aforementioned Daft Punk record. I think those were pretty much everywhere. Alive by um, Empire of the Sun, it's just sort of like, if MGMT made dance records that were real dance records, that's kind of what it would sound like.
2: If MGMT so, like, made dance records anymore.
1: If they make records, yeah. But other than, yeah. Anyway, um, sorry. Uh, let's see. I will uh, I will start with a couple things that came out sort of later in the month, but um, I'm really happy with. Um Normally, these two things don't happen at the same time. So it's an extra nice little bounce to have a great new Franz Ferdinand record and a great new Arctic Monkeys record at the same time.
0: Oh, uh, true, um, yeah.
1: Both of them sound similar to their older material, but yet different enough to make them interesting. Uh, so I'm really excited about that. The Franz album is called Right Thoughts, Right Words, Right Action. And the Arctic Monkeys album is called AM. And there's a whole bunch of people that guest on it and do some interesting things. So I do I do like that. And I still love that Bleached record. I mean, it's just, um, that's a lot of fun. Uh, I discovered this interesting band called Charlie Boyer and the Voyeurs. They've an album called Clarietta. And it's kind of like a cross between the Stooges, the Strokes, and sort of the New York Dolls, sort of all run through a blender. But it's really good sort of um, fun rock. Uh, I did like this electronic... Thing that came out uh, early in the year called Moderate M-O-D-E-R-A-T it's a collaboration between modeler, Modular and Apparat so they call it Moderate and it's a uh, it's, it's just called Two and uh, that's out on Meet Records I did like that it was a nice sort of down-tempo electronic record for the summer um, I do like much more than I expected the new Slaybell single, single uh, Bitter Rivals from the album of the same name that's coming out Um I'm a little leery of them now, because they uh, they kind of let me down. But you know, to be yeah. fair, after that first record, after that first record, I think almost anybody would probably let me down. So I'm giving them a fighting chance, but uh, I'm hoping, I'm really hoping that that turns out to be an amazing record. Uh, so I do want to give shouts out to that. Um, the other thing I did like, I did like the A is for um, this band called Alpine, and their album is called A is for Alpine. It's sort of a nice little downbeat-ish, sort of Saint Etienne-sounding kind of album. I like that a lot, um, as well. And um, uh, you know, it's sort of the the interesting thing that no one talks about—the new uh, Cigaroos record. It's really, really nice. It's a little different. It's a little uh, more upbeat, but it still has all those weird sort of sounds that everybody loves in in their records. And I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce it because. It would be an Iceland talk, and I do not speak Iceland talk, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna butcher that. Um, but you guys covered a lot of the, a lot of the stuff. I do uh, I did stumble upon an interesting record uh, called Sweet AM, which is the new project of uh, DJ Bone Break of X, and uh, not quite not quite rock and roll, but not quite Americana. It's got some teeth to it, so I do like that uh, a little bit. And um, I will second year 1975, which it's going to be amazing. I've I've got the album. I haven't listened to it yet. I just haven't gotten to it, which is no excuse. But uh, I'm looking forward to that or or, to listening to that. Then a couple, there's a couple interesting things. You talked about the Moby record and I have to say, um, excuse me, Wayne Coyne from the Flaming Lips is on that record.
0: Oh, that's a good track.
1: It's, it, which is probably the best track on the record, and I thought about this, and I'm like, you know, this makes total sense, because Moby's kind of this old punk that dabbles around in weird, you know, quasi down melancholy dance music, and Wayne Coring is the sort of old punk that makes sort of melancholy pop music. and. You know, you think about it, and then you're like, "Yeah, this makes total sense." Why is why did this not happen earlier? But it's it's a really great single, um, and I think the album. Again, you know, I like his last record. He's had he every time he puts out an album, I like songs on. It. He hasn't yeah. really, for me, since playing made an album, like, or even eighteen, an album you can listen to all the way through um and i think you're right about him trying to sort of find that magic again but i think he's trying you know i think moby is more than trying to sell records i think he's trying to capitalize on everything that he had with play because he sort of set the bar with play in that every song on that album was in at some point during that year in a movie in a gap commercial or whenever you went to you know a store you heard something from it i was in um a hotel in Chicago this weekend at four thirty in the morning, and I heard "Trouble So Hard," and I'm like, "Really?" You know, they played all the smooth jazz, and then they played "Trouble So Hard," and went back into smooth jazz after. You know, it was weird. I mean, that thing is everywhere. So I think I think you're right. He's trying to get back to that. Um, but the churches. Well, oh well
0: let me just throw this in. You were talking about Wayne Coyne. I, I, it occurred to me while listening to this that I think yes. what the person he should probably be introduced to is Martina Topley-Bird. Yes. I would I would love to hear them collaborate on an album together. That would make me very happy. Anyway, I just thought I'd throw that out there into the universe.
1: But uh, I am gonna make Widget a little happy in a minute. Uh, like oh. amongst the things that that, that that I that I've heard in my mailbox in the last couple of weeks. Um, The new Church's record, uh, The Bones of What You Believe. It's great. And, you know, they're going to be huge. They have this sort of retro sound. They're going to be in every commercial you hear. And, you know, they got invited to open for the Pesh Mode. So, you know, they're going to be huge. Um, It's a a great sort of record. It sounds like all the records of when I was a kid, but that's okay. Uh, The other thing. That I really, really, really like is an album called Heartwild by one of my favorites, Frankie Rose. And, um, I'm really, really, really digging that. I like that a lot. And if you like sort of the first record, uh, by the Zombies, you may want to check out a band from Manchester called the Crooks, but it's spelled with a K E S instead of just a K S. And it's called Hold Fast. It's a nice sort of like powered British pop record that's really nice. Um, very excited about that. Also, I have to say I am completely and absolutely in awe of the brand new Mazzy Star record. I did not think I was going to like it. Um, it's called "Season of Your Dog." Now, the thing is about the Mazzy Star record: when you listen to it, it's not like all their other albums, where you listen to it and the first three songs, the first three songs on the record just come out and they stay with you, and there's an obvious sort of like hit feel to the to the album. This doesn't really have that. This is sort of like a complete album that retains their, like, joyful sadness that they do with some really great lyric structures. And the thing that's always great about Maddie Star is that, you know, damn it, you you really like being miserable listening to Maddie Star records, and they've done that again. (laughs) No, they did really great miserable, I mean, it's not like a Morrissey record where you want to jump off a cliff at the end of it, but you you feel sufficiently sad that, that you like it. And it's also, at least in my instance, an album you can play with the other people you live in uh, live with in the same room without getting yelled at or, you know, them running for you know, running to get your headphones. So I mean, and that's that's kind of a big deal. And then the other thing I want to tell you is keep an eye on this album called Someone Move In by Aurova Simone. Or just called Move In by uh Aurova Simone. It's uh, coming out I think in a week or so and it's gonna catch up on people. They have a single from it called Crazy that is just really catchy and kind of fun. And I think that's going to sneak up on some people as well. So that's kind of my fast and loose stuff I've been listening to new release thing that I like. And I'm very excited now about listening to the Peter Gabriel record now, Widge went into great detail about it on the, uh, on his emails about Regina Specter, and you were pretty right. Mm. And if, if if that Regina Spector record is a sign of what to expect on a real, full-blown Regina Spector record, I'm very excited. Yes. And this is the interestingly sad part of the podcast that we do every time we convene, it seems like. But it's kind of interesting in this case. Um, we've had two interesting passings since we've last convened. Uh, the first one, which brought to my attention, which I thought was kind of fascinating, um, an actor named Murray Gershens. Um who was 91 died he was in the hangover and a bunch of other movies he's sort of a character bit actor He was in I believe was he in the sopranos? Yes, I think he was in the sopranos too. But he sort of had this bit player thing going on forever and he was in the hangover and sort of stole stole what he was in in the hangover. Um and he died and would sent me his obituary and I'm kind of going okay, where is this going? And then whoa, hey, wait a minute, Derek there hits you like you know a giant exclamation point. Um, what he did, and I, I had talked to some people in L.A. just to sort of get a feel for this, is he sunk a lot of his acting money and his own personal money into his favorite passion in the whole world, which is collecting records, right? And um, he owned a record store for over 50 years in L.A. called uh, Music Man Murray, which sort of started off as – Back, you know, going back to when Sinatra and Dean Martin and those guys were making records, if you wanted to get those kind of records right when they came out, or you wanted to hear really great new music, or if you wanted to be um, a white guy and go into a store in L.A. and get, like, the best new black soul that you may not have heard, that is where you went. It was, uh, for its time, a record store that broke down colors, boundaries, any type of music whatsoever, and just said, you know, our store is going to play, have, sell whatever we want, and you're going to come. And it was an L.A. institution for about 50 years called Music Man Murray. But um, Murray, he had the leukemia, so he knew he was going. And earlier in the year, he decided he was going to sell his record collection. He offered it some of it to various collections and archives and things. All of that stuff got weeded through, and people and family and friends took what they wanted. But at the end of the day, there were still... 300,000 records in the collection waiting to be bought. Knew that would get so, your attention. <laughs> yes, and it's great because anytime time I get complained that, Honey, you brought more music home or Honey, there's more records. I'm like, 300,000?
3: That's, that's, the, <laughs> that's nice.
1: the established number. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> and then I just get the I don't think so. Um, so, followed by Wow, you should call this on digital. But anyway, <laughs> 300,000 records. So he kind of left an interesting mark um, in a different way than we talk about on this podcast with people that are significant dying, in that he's sort of, as a, I would say, proprietor of sound and one who spreads sound around to other people and gets other people in tune to it. And from what I understand, he used to actually go into records, go into the store and sell records. Um, Desi Arnaz would buy records from him. He'd come into the store, ask for Murray. And Murray would hand pick a stack of records, hand it to Death to Arnaz, and he would leave. So a lot of people would do this. They'd just say, Tell me what's great that I need to know. And this helped get a lot of stuff heard, sort of, you know. Um, he he was huge in getting you know, a lot of the Beach Boy records into the hands of like not necessarily record producers or other DJs, but just sort of enough people that would champion them. And he sort of did this interesting thing. That he sort of he was sort of the first person who wasn't a recording artist to bridge you know sort of the Hollywood acting L.A. executive scene with musicians so that you know in, instead of like Sinatra you know acting and being on TV and making records and films at the same time and that was how his music would go back and forth from from lots of different genres this guy would just hand it out to you know a guy who worked. Uh, for an ad agency then another guy who was a filmmaker and then another actor and then another fellow musician and he proliferated music all through Southern California this way. 300,000 records. I'm just saying. Imagine the song from Rent in Your Head but just keep saying 300,000 records. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) I just want to look I just want to look through them. And you have to buy the whole collection. You could they won't split it up.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Because I called.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now, now, Rob. Here's a question. So, is there is there a list? Is there a list of what's being offered?
1: Yeah, he uh, apparently well, a lot of this is the stuff that was left at the store when it closed. Um, but there isn't there's is a full inventory um, of what he has. The problem I think with it is not necessarily quality. Like you're not getting three hundred thousand records and you know four hundred thousand or forty thousand of more polka records. I mean you're getting Brubeck, you're going to get Miles Davis, you're going to get the Beach Boys, you're going to get a lot of that kind of stuff, right? As well as like, you know, surf music and and some LA punk um, and lounge stuff. But at the same time, where the hell do you put 300,000 records? Where do you put that? In an age when houses and everything that's built is not built now, you know, one, for storage, and two, in an environment that is sort of custom made for the person that likes to buy vinyl. Where the hell do you put 300,000 records? I, the answer is I don't fucking know, <laughs> <laughs> but I would love to find out. So I'm just imagining the phone call and which says, Hey, we're recording the podcast. Not now. I'm looking at you 300,000 records. And then well, five months later, Rob, Rob, you coming out? No.
2: So, Rob, what is that yeah, the what, what is that the the place where they have the the Carson Archives? That is that on the in the side of a cave somewhere? No, no, is that no, what no. That yeah, is? the yeah. Carson
0: Archives is in um <laughs> is in a is in a salt mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So That's... I think I think Rob, the que- question is, first of all, I would love to see somebody try to turn the list of what's being offered into a Spotify list. That would be amazing. And two, I think. What you need to do is start an Indiegogo campaign to I want to collectively buy and we will all own
1: them together. Now, the other interesting thing is he also bought up collections of other people when they died. So, uh, you know, for for example, um, I'm trying to give a really great example of this, but someone like Lawrence Welk dies. Oh, who will go to his house and buy all his records? Or, you know, when... George Harrison died. He went over and bought a large chunk of the George Harrison record collection. So not only does he have his records, but he has records owned by other famous people, which is pretty incredible when you think about it. I mean, uh, Phil Spector, before he went to prison, sold all of, them, all of his records to this guy, you know? I mean, so just – it's, it's a double whammy that you're owning a record and then you're owning another record that was owned by somebody else famous, you know? Um, Elvis sent him Christmas cards. You know, that's all I'm saying. (laughs) Awesome. At one point, you could go into his record store in uh, the 1970s, and you'd see Liberace, Flip Wilson, and Brian Wilson all buying records at the same time as Robert Plant. That's all I'm saying. Nice. You know, I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing. So... That's kind of a huge loss. I didn't know if you guys wanted to comment on that, but I know Lidge um, sent me that and said, this would be interesting for the podcast. And yeah, 300,000 records. So, And when you think about it, that is his legacy. I mean, outside of acting, you know, which, yeah, he's been in some movies and things, but, you know, your legacy is uh, probably one of the foremost record collectors of the country. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing at some point that Smithsonian looks at it. I don't know, you know, yeah uh, you know um do, do you how do you take that collection down to Amoeba to sell it? you know I mean what do you, <laughs> how do you have someone come over to the house and look at three hundred thousand records? How do you move them? you know I mean it's a pretty substantial thing to do it um, and the way that people who are insane collect comics and have the rooms built that have the right temperatures and everything or people that store cigars in the humidifier or humidor. Think of that as records. So, yeah, it's pretty amazing when you think about it. In our digital age, the fact that someone kept 300,000 records going all the way back, you know, to Golden Age Hollywood and before and past, you know, records that were available pretty much on the West Coast in New York. I mean, that's pretty amazing. So um, one of the first people, too, uh, from what I understand, to sort of make sure the Beatles records got out, you know, I mean, before they broke, he he was handing out Beatles albums to people. You know, I mean, it's kind of fascinating. The whole sort of whole history of what he did with the records is almost as interesting as the collection itself. So that's kind of a sad loss. Um, do you guys have anything you want to add to that?
0: Uh, I'd just like to point out that um, I've, I found a, 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 a number online, so I just, out of curiosity, tried to work out for you, Rob, how many... Uh, how, how much space you would need to convert for, for for if you converted all that vinyl to MP3s, how much space would you need? And basically, yeah. you would need fifteen thousand eighty eight one hundred sixty gig iPod Classics. So fifteen thousand eighty eight by one hundred sixty, that is two million two point four million plus gig. <laughs>
1: That you would need, and then another article I read on it said, "This is only the collection, not the memorabilia."
0: Oh Jesus!
1: Yeah, I'm just I I'm, I'm flabbergasted. So the other person we lost was fairly recent, and that was Mr. Ray Dolby, who I did not know this until I was prepping for the podcast. It was an OBE. Um, which I thought was interesting. Ray Dolby, for those who don't know, yes, you've heard the name. When you hear Dolby surround sound or Dolby noise reduction, that's the guy. Because before Ray Dolby, when you recorded something onto a reel-to-reel and eventually a cassette tape, you got a hiss. He came along and took the hiss out, which was huge. So he revolutionized the Before the iPod, you know, think of of the iPod in, like, you know, 1960s terms. Um, He made it possible to make music portable by sort of making ways for reel-to-reels to to sound interesting and then making ways for cassettes to sound interesting and then master recordings to sound interesting and then apply that to film. Oh, yeah, and he invented the video cassette, video cassette record or video recording. He invented that. So... Again, you know, one of these people that's been honored, he's getting a star on the Walk of Fame uh, posthumously in 2014, which is sad, Um, but he had basically a uh, studio in London that did nothing but sort of work on pushing the boundaries of sound recording. That's all they did. They were sort of like the NASA of sound, which is pretty great. And um, the noise reduction system, though, we all know it and feel it today because is why when you record something from point A to point B, it sounds pretty similar. I mean, but again, he was doing this in our equivalent, you know, of rocks and sandpaper because, again, the methodology that he used to do this then is so out of date now. But people still now are going back and recording things on reel-to-reels, and he invent- he's sort of one of the people that pioneered multi-track recording, for example, as well. So... Huge, and then one day, you know, he went to go see a movie and said, "I don't like the way this sounds. Let's fix that," and thus Dolby surround sound was born. You know, but everyone from you know musicians to George Lucas to uh, award shows to television, you know, people that do live television, owe this man a debt of gratitude because he revolutionized how we hear sound. Um, recorded music, recorded sounds, everything. And he was so fascinated by sounds. You know, we might just go around and collect comics or records or whatever. He collected sounds and would then find ways to replicate them in the clearest possible way possible. And he would spend hours tinkering with it, you know. So that's kind of a big loss. And it's also kind of sad that we lost Ray Dolby. And uh, just thought I'd throw that out there
3: for you guys.
0: Well, I remember <clears throat> on my dad's stereo growing up. I mean, you 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 could actually experience life with and without him by pressing that Dolby button. I mean, you could yeah. turn it on or off, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah. I mean, people don't, you know, it 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 really is the equivalent of if you've ever done any podcasting or recording or trying to clean up, you know, noise gates, noise reduction. If you basically there's a bit I know, in Sound Forge where you can say Flip it and show me all the crap you're taking out, you know? And that's, that's sort of what it's like. It's, it, it is, you, you just, it's, it's sort of hard to uh, impress upon people something that's not there. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> I, I
2: saw that in audition when I was uh, doing the, uh, the Dragon Con stuff that you have got.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which, which by the way, <laughs> really well done. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank yeah, you. I was like, wow, this is, I don't have to touch this. I love this.
1: <laughs> and I, you know, I saw I saw him speak at a radio conference.
0: Oh, nice! In
1: the mid '90s, and he was talking about like how he came about this passion with with records and music and sound and, and things because he was he loved all that stuff, and he realized that going to England was great to do it because he was free of the sort of confines and the constrictions of the American recording industry, and he could work with whoever he wanted. And have it not be an issue, but he also could have pretty much anything he wanted in technology, he could get it without it being a big hassle. Um, But what was interesting hearing him, you know, talk about this was that, you know, this is 93, 94, and he's like, within the next three decades, you know, the record will be nearly extinct people won't buy albums. They'll download everything onto a computer and they'll have little things you carry around like phones that you could listen to records on as well as talk to people. And this was 1992. And now a lot of other people probably thought that, but he was, he was, he was saying, you know, I'm definitely serious, that you know, soon you'll be able to store, you know, music on something the size of a library card. You know, he said, I mean, I remember him saying that and thinking, wow, you know, so think of him kind of as, you know, the Tesla of sound, um, just a sad, sad thing for all of us to, to in as well.
0: All right. So Rob, before we, before to, to lead into this, let me just point out, uh, I did some more math and, yes. and for your 300,000 albums, uh, yes. I, I believe the shipping weight on that you would be over oh, 132,000 pounds. So I think Rob,
1: I mean, what if some of not those are counting, albums? not counting the, Ability to pick, to ship it in an air controlled environment.
0: Oh Jesus!
2: Well, what if what if some of those are double albums?
0: Well, I was going to suggest media mail, but now that you have said air conditioned environment, <laughs> yeah, you you would be fucked, Rob.
1: Yeah. Well, we all would.
0: Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. Please please proceed. I just wanted to share.
1: No, okay. And while we're on the subject of Mr. Dolby, and again, as I said, this whole edition of the show, unintentionally until this afternoon, I was reviewing the order of everything, did I realize today's show is an analog. So um, the cassette tape, yes, the cassette tape is 50. Now, you're probably saying to yourself, really, do we care that the cassette tape is 50? And I say this, we are probably um, three people at the end of the generation that remembers the idea of getting a cassette, you know? And if you wanted to play something in your car or your Walkman or going anywhere, the you know iPod or iPhone equivalent for thirty-five years, forty years was the cassette. The eight-track was around, but face it, it really didn't work that well.
0: And so the, uh, even worse than yeah. that were the uh, the turntables that you could have in a car. There are, there have yeah. been some of those.
1: I've seen one of those. I know. <laughs> I've seen one recently. It was awesome. Anyway. <laughs> um, anyway. Um, but the cassette tape is 50. And what's interesting about this is in the same way that people thought vinyl was dead, believe it or not, the cassette tape is not completely dead.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, people are still making cassette tapes. There's still the sort of mixtape culture where, you know, you make a mixtape and you hand it to somebody. We'll get to that later. Um, but the celebration of five decades of the cassette is interesting for a few reasons, mainly because one, it was portable. Two, it allowed you for the very first time as a listener to put whatever the hell you wanted on a sound device in the order that you wanted. So like Ridge, if you wanted to put take five on one side and houses houses for the holy on the other, you could do it. Nobody was going to scream about copyrights. Nobody well, was well gonna
0: they watch. were, but no one was going to listen to them.
1: But but the thing is, um, with the cassette tape, they made they made a deal with it where they, those labels got a percentage of the of the cassette tape sales,
3: and that's true. True,
1: it paid for everything. So it was one, and even if you replicate, it wasn't like now where if you replicated the transfer from an album onto a cassette tape, unless you had like a bitching system. Um, it wasn't going to replicate the sound completely well so that you still had a top tier platform. So I think it's interesting that the cassette is 50. At first I wanted to sort of dismiss it, and, and, but then I started reading about it coming back and then I handed somebody, a, 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 two people actually I've handed in the last couple of weeks, copies of our zine, Derelict, And people said, Oh, let me give you our cassette tape. And I'm just like, what the hell is this? So um, it's interesting. There are The people that love the cassette tape are going kicking and screaming into the night. Um, Sometime if you're really bored and you have nothing to do, hang out at the Walgreens where they still sell cassette tapes at select Walgreens Mm -hmm. and wait for the people to come and buy them because they will come and buy them in bulk and then they will go home and look for Polaroid film. But um, it's interesting. The whole subculture of the cassette tape and the fact that it's, I think is important as an, as an empowerment way of the first, the first step of the consumer being empowered in this musical decision-making process of listening to what he wanted, when he wanted, or she, um, I think that is the important for the cassette tape. And I just thought I'd throw that out to the board to see what you guys thought as probably the last generation of people that could remember when you carry a cassette tape or cassette case around with you with cassette. Oh Yeah.
2: Just yeah. one? You mean just just one? <clears throat> just one cassette
1: case? No, I said cases was yeah. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Well, yeah, getting it down to just one was just horrible. Um, yeah. Well, it depends on
0: the <laughs> depends on the size.
1: You want to do the, you want to do the weight on that now? While we're at it, if we were to turn that record collection into the cassette tapes,
0: All right, I'm on Never it. Never mind. <laughs> uh, I'll get right on that. <clears throat> but no, I mean
2: I, I think I I think you know the the, the I think the link between the, the Dolby story and this is is is, is mainly the compression, uh, yeah. the compression of music and making it portable. I think was uh, is an interesting uh, is an interesting achievement. Just because you know it became music that it, it, your music became something you took with you instead of something you had to wait till you got home to do. Yeah, which 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 I find kind of interesting.
1: And socially, it was interesting because it sort of broke down some issues of class and social status. Because I could go to Widges, who bought the new, I don't know, Quiet Riot cassette or album, and I could tape it at his house and then take it with me. So people began to listen to music. As, you know, in the 50s, when you, hid, when you hid the records from your parents and listened to them, you know, quieter, yeah. or like a couple friends' house at a low sort of – it was sort of clandestine. Uh, with the cassette tapes, you sort of could – people would go to other people's houses, bring a bunch of records, and take each other's collections. And yeah. So this sort of idea of music as a social conversation thing sort of goes hand-in-hand hand with the cassette as well.
2: See, I seem to recall using <clears throat> most of, a lot of blank tapes by, you know, recording stuff from the radio.
1: Yeah. Yes, I was
2: Yeah. And 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 particularly I think near the end of, you know, the tape era, uh pulling up, you know, public radio and pulling up like the Peel show and stuff like that and, 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 and recording stuff on cassette. You know.
1: Or even college radio. You could put on your local yeah. college station and yeah. just let it play.
2: Yeah.
1: Or for those of us that were old school, that is how you heard Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um so it's it's an interesting sort of bygone thing that, that won't go away. Um, I, I, I mentioned them again, but Bleach put out their new album on cassette. A couple other bands are, are following suit and putting out albums on cassettes again, uh, which is just weird. You go to a <laughs> show. I went to a show, two shows in the last month where the people at their merch tables had cassettes.
2: Well, there are people <laughs> doing mixtapes that are actually mixtapes. Yeah.
0: Yep. Is, yeah. Yeah. Which, which, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it in a minute, but I mean, that's, that's what I used yeah. cassettes for. And I will say this, <clears throat> um, the other thing that uh, you kids out there in the world won't appreciate is that, yes, you can, in fact, overheat your iPhone or iPod, but God help you, God help you, if you left your case of cassettes in a hot car that got a little too hot.
1: Or my perpetual battle is if the the tape itself got off track and you'd have to do that thing with your finger where you turn and you reloop the tape. Oh god. Yeah. Oh god. Um, which I think is a dying art these days. Um, no, the, the crazy and,
0: bit was the crazy bit was when you had. I've done this. I had a cassette. I I don't even remember what's on it, but it was one of those things where it's like I will never be able to get this again, and the case was completely fucked. So I I literally did a tape transplant.
2: <laughs> oh, but, you switched the bodies? Yes, I had yes. to. Yes. <laughs> I, I I think I did that oh, once. Thank God I'm not the only one. <laughs> yes. I, I I think there was I think Ozzy Osbourne's Blizzard of Oz for quite a while lived inside the body of NXS's Kick.
1: <laughs> my, uh, I I was mad at my sister. Frankenstein. My uh my my copy of Fear of the Record lived on my sister's Billy Joel record. So I was very happy.
2: <laughs> I I probably went through at least I would say four cassettes of the wall. Oh yeah. Yeah. And and you would do that thing where you would patch it on one side, the side that didn't the side that didn't touch the heads. You'd patch it with like, you know, scotch tape. When it broke Mm -hmm. to try to keep it to try to have to go keep from going out and buying another one. Yeah. Because there were certain tapes that you, you know, didn't want to go to a friend's house and copy. You wanted to go and buy them because they sounded better. Right. And the Pink Floyd records were always those. Um, Yeah. So you would like patch those from here to eternity to keep them, keep them running.
1: Yep. Now, another fun thing. Uh, from a york set, there's two interesting points with this. Is that one, you would listen to the radio, maybe it was Casey Kasem's top, you know, countdown or whatever, and you knew that there was a song on that you wanted to tape. So you waited by the radio to hear a song, and then you had to do the precise art of knowing when to tape it, and start it and stop it. You know, when we Casey all had stop
2: snipp- talking.
1: Yeah, and had snippets of. Um, Stuff and then like damn it, he's talking and I gotta retape it. You know, yeah, yeah. That, and then the other, the other fun part of the cassette tape that I thought was interesting is that it allowed also, you know, if you're on your way to a party or you're on your way to a concert or you're just you know cruising around. Do people still cruise anymore? Never mind. Um, you could rewind a tape and play the same song again. What a crazy idea that was. You know, the fact that like you could buy an album. And if you didn't like a song on it, you could fast forward through it, you know, whereas you don't have to pick up the needle. It was a lot easier to do that than to pick up the needle, move it and risk scratching the record, you know? Um, or you could kind also... of do that
2: half, you could kind of do that half fast forward thing where it's still, you can still hear it. Yeah. If you really wanted to screw with somebody, Oh yeah, it's the chipmunks. Listen to this. <laughs> it's the chipmunks doing quite right. It's fantastic.
1: Yeah, you know, and, you know, so much of the underground music of hip-hop and electronica and a lot of dance and electronic EDF music owes its origins to being on a cassette tape because people would make loops and they'd put them under a cassette tape. People would make their own sort of home recordings, put them on a cassette tape. Um, if a band could not make a seven-inch single and press it to take to a record label, they would make a cassette, and they could hand the cassette to almost anybody and you could duplicate it really quick. So if Lidge went to a party and found out there was a guy there from a record label and he wanted his band to get heard, he'd just go home and make a copy of his cassette, run out real quick and hand it off, you know? And so you couldn't do some of that with vinyl or with an eight track or with reel-to-reels. So it's kind of fascinating that this whole invention sort of revolutionized how we listen to archive and appreciate music. I just think it's kind of fascinating. And I know we've talked an awful lot about cassettes and we've talked about, you know, um, the days gone by and all that. And I apologize for that. It was not the intention of uh, this podcast. I, I assure you, however, we do need to bring it up because it was one of those big events, probably of our adolescence and, and, and music of the last couple of decades in utero the third studio album from nirvana turned 20 years old uh earlier in september and i don't know about you guys but i read that and i'm like really that album is 20 and it's kind of fascinating um uh, that that record sort of more so than nevermind has been sort of viewed now as their masterpiece whereas when it came out it was like their label wanted to junk it and it was a battle for them to get it made and released and uh in case you did not know this you guys do because you're (laughs) smart but um in utero was interesting as well because it pushed a lot of censorship buttons walmart would not sell it they changed they made special versions of the album to sell at walmart because they didn't want a track called rape me to be sold in their store (laughs) Now,
3: what what was it
0: uh they renamed it something what did they rename it I can't remember now. That's they insane. actually That's didn't
2: just... put the title of the album on it. It was just the, the, the Walmart version was basically Nirvana. Because really? they didn't sell the first album in it either. So, Huh. Uh, well, I, I mean... Was... Oh, there you go.
0: Waif Me. It yeah. was called Waif Me.
2: <laughs> I think what it was, and I think um, they they tried to get the cover altered... And that wouldn't work. So basically they still had those those sleeves, the you know, the uh the the cardboard C D sleeves. Right. So basically you could see that it was by Nirvana. And they basically advertised it as the new Nirvana, but they didn't say what it was. Yeah. So you could go and get it. But then you had to take all the extra packaging off from Walmart, and then it was, you know, the record with rate me.
1: Which, for God's at. sakes, don't buy your records from Walmart. What are you people doing? Anyway, um, yeah, the interesting thing about it, too, is uh, Steve Albini uh, lobbied the band sort of to produce it. They went into a studio and they recorded it, and they the band, for the most part, was happy. I mean, there were some tweaks they wanted done and stuff. The label was absolutely friggin' mortified. They didn't hear a hit. And you know, in case in case you forgot, that's the album with all apologies on it. It's got rape me, it's got heart shaped box,
0: penny royalty, yeah,
1: Royal, pinning royalty. I and mean, it has some really wonder, some of the best written Nirvana songs. And I don't know about you guys, but the first time I heard that album, particularly when I heard um all apologies and some other things, I'm like, this guy is not right in the head. Something's going. Something. I mean, I kind of had a feeling something was going to happen with this band but I didn't know what it was. And when you listen to in utero now, you're like, okay, when you look at it in the context Mm. of, you know, me who's nearly 45 listening to it now, um, you're like, okay, this is where the game change that started with Nirvana sort of reached its apex. And after this point in time, for the most part, uh, a lot of music was sorely disappointing. And it was interesting because one, it's a record that pushed a lot of boundaries. It wasn't necessarily a pleasant record to listen to in terms of you, you didn't leave at the end of the day feeling great, but you knew it was a good album. And just the band fighting with the label. I mean, they fought tooth and nail for that. They took they took uh, I think all apologies, penny royalty, and Heartshake box away from them. Uh, and made Scott Litt reproduce them into shinier, sort of better versions of it. And the band was furious. I mean, it's one of those instances where you see a band and their label at direct odds. You know, the label didn't want to promote it, and Nirvana was like, well, if you're not going to promote the record, we're not going to go out and play for it. You know, and they paid for the own studio time to make the record so they owned the masters because they knew Geffen was going to have a problem with it. Uh, which is also interesting. A band, you know, oh, it's $150,000 to go into the studio and own our tapes? Sure, we've got that kind of money, you know. And it's, uh, on hindsight, when you listen to Dave Grohl talk now, he talks about the experience of making this record as the one that sort of made him aware that as a musician, you also had to be a business guy. And this is also the album, I think, that got Chris Novoselic out of wanting to make music because it was such a haranguing effort for him. So, um, you know, I know there's a special edition of the album coming out. It's got like a DVD. It's got the Albini mixes and the original demos and all that stuff on it. But are you guys kind of as surprised as I am about sort of the staying power of this record and how it's sort of now being talked about so much 20 years on?
0: Uh, I don't know. I mean, <clears throat> I, um, I think, I, I mean, I can listen to this a lot easier than I can, like, never mind. Um, yeah. and, uh, I think stuff like, cause I remember when Heart Shaped Box came out and I was just like, oh wow. Um, because it was just such a, uh, I don't know. It was just, it was just so, it was like, it was, you know what? It was like, it was like going from, um, uh, going from Nevermind to In Utero, which I don't, you know, I, I understand there's some like incesticide and other stuff in there, but I don't know that even, does that even count? I don't even know. Uh, that's
3: a B-Sides
2: collection. It's a okay. B- B-Sides BBC collection sort of thing. Gotcha.
0: But, I mean, so to basically go from Nevermind to that, to that and all apologies, that's pretty impressive. And and I mean so so this is this is like the last bit of of the evolution that could have been more Nirvana, you know what I mean? And I I uh, if anything to me, I mean I find it great to listen to, but I also find it really fucking sad because I would have loved to have heard I mean you think if this if this is if this is in utero, what's I mean what's the next album, right? Yeah.
2: <clears throat> well, I think that was that was the question when I heard it, which was like <sighs> How are they going to do a record after this?
0: Oh, I mean, it's, it's, I, I think that it could have been done. It's just, you, I mean, you can't, you can't conceive of it. You just go, okay, I know you're going to do something. What the fuck is it going to be? And I can't wait to hear it. So,
2: I mean, it is sort of the album that killed Seattle music dead, basically. Yeah. And not to, you know, dwell on it, but it did. I mean, um, I mean outside of maybe Alice in Chains um it basically obliterated every other band like in its wake of this record.
0: Um yeah unless you had risen above a certain level like say Soundgarden you were Yeah,
2: yeah Soundgarden and like well even Soundgarden dropped Soundgarden left a couple of years after this. Uh honestly um oh my god was that that long ago jesus Yeah Couple of years couple of years after the record, Soundgarden called it a day. Um but uh, you know, it it, it did just sort of flatten an entire subgenre, I think. <laughs> uh which not many records can say they did that. That's true. Um no it's I, interesting oh, oh no, I was just
0: gonna say toughly, I see what you mean, because after that uh Super Unknown was the next year. Yeah. which was sort of their big boom type of record. yeah And then down on the upside was more of a uh I suppose we should put out an album. I mean, and even that's...
2: super unknown and even super unknown is like a complete change in sound from what they had been doing.
0: Oh yeah, yeah and that, I mean that's that's part of why I dig it so much is it's, yeah. it's, it's it's that next level. it's it's a it's a band that has gone to the next level rather than a band that is trying to stay at the same level or worse, a band that just goes off the rails. Yeah. But right. it's
1: completely misunderstood, because they're that far ahead.
2: And yeah. I, and the stated intention, going back to Nirvana, the stated intention of this record was to basically lose everybody.
1: Yeah.
0: Which is weird, Which, because
2: I, you know, I mean, again... Because Kurt, the the one thing Kurt mentioned in interviews for this record was this is the record where we're going to lose everyone, and that's what we wanted.
0: <laughs> which is which makes me wonder about myself because, like I said, I was totally on board. I was
2: like, "This is great." Well, this was well, about think... the point. This was about the point where I think Pearl Jam had had their thing with MTV, and they had basically decided to stop doing videos. And Kurt kind of wanted to stop doing videos, but they couldn't. Right. Um, so I think everybody had had their, okay, we're famous thing, and then nobody liked being famous. So the following records were, we hate being famous. So this well, was the think- Nirvana, we hate being famous record.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's also the, but to a certain extent, it's also a very emotionally, yeah, upon hindsight, potent record. I mean, you have to go back to Lennon really before you hear an album where an artist is just completely pouring every bit of themselves into their songwriting and their albums. I mean, when he's screaming on that record, it's like none of us knew that. Yeah, this guy's in a lot of pain, you know. Um, we had not, I mean, we knew something, you know, we knew knew he wasn't happy and we knew it was weird. We had no idea, you know, at least I didn't. Um, and it's fascinating too, because it's the first time a band sort of like went on MTV, like when this record came out and slagged their record labels. Like, well, you know, I'm glad this record's selling 500,000 because our label didn't have the balls to put it out. You know, it's kind of like not only were they trying to lose their audience, they were trying to lose and shake the mechanism that made them famous. Yeah. They were they were basically destroying the system on their way out the building. Um, they're like, you know, it was an interesting episode of uh, escapade and deconstruction. You know, they're like, look, he, they were very clear about look, the people that like who we are and what we do that get us aren't going anywhere but all the kids that go to the store and buy our shirts and think we're cool they're gone and we can live without them you know i think they sort of wanted to purify their audience base which i know sounds weird
2: the other thing kurt kept saying i think on interviews for this record is that he was a huge pixies fan and he loved the fact that the pixies continuously did a record that basically pissed everyone off yeah that they continually came out with a record that wasn't like the last record and was so much not like the last record that it basically they basically started over again with the audience.
0: Well and and Rob, I, I think your your Lennon comparison is really good because I mean you compare that with say Lennon's mother or yeah, so or, or or God or and you just go, Yeah. I mean it's that's that's a damn fine comparison
2: or like yeah. any of the Plastic Ono Band records where it's sort of like we're going to do the furthest thing away from the Beatles as possible so that the people who who were listening to the Beatles can sort of go, yeah, this is not this is not what we
1: wanted. And maybe you know, I and, don't
2: want that.
1: You know, it's kind of like it, it's kind of like they felt responsible for starting this thing called grunge sort of inadvertently. And that they damn sure were going to make sure they killed it.
3: <laughs> you
1: know, I mean, that's kind of what happened, you know. I and mean, it's fascinating. And, and one of the things I'm really looking forward to hearing is there's a bunch of the early demos and sessions on this remaster of it. And we're going to hear, like, the version of Penny T that's on that is completely different than the finished album. You know, yeah. And it's not until you get to Unplugged in New York that you sort of get an idea of what they were thinking with those songs. Uh, which I think is interesting, but um, yeah, it's interesting. They're calling in utero, you know, one of the, one of the five most important albums of the nineties, you know, it's not the most important. And I think it's kind of interesting because all these bands, you know, from the nineties sort of, you mentioned the Pixies, but you also have the replacements and they had a lot of these bands sort of in, in the same periphery sort of at that time. And they changed the game so much. It's just, I don't think we were really aware at the time, just how radical this record was. I remember just putting it on going, yes, this is what I want. Yes, please. You know? Um, yeah. And I was, and I was just- I
2: hated this record. Really? <laughs> yes. I had friends in high school. This was senior year in high school, and we had all bought this record. Um, and within, like, two weeks, it was basically, I was the only person still listening to it because huh. <laughs> like everybody else hated this record
1: and you have to understand that smells like teen spirit was such a just an off-the-wall phenomenon that that had to probably emotionally damage that band you know just the whirlwind of hell about it you know kurt Cobain with in interviews what was the best thing about the success of smells like teen spirit or never mind he said well you know i've got a house i can live in and I've got money to take care of, you know, things I need. But then he would point out that his own personal highlight of it was that, you know, Weird Al Yankovic did a cover of it, you know, which he thought sort of put an exclamation point on the satire and the irony of it, you know. And it's interesting when you hear Weird Al talk to, you talk about when he, you know, he called Kurt Cobain on the phone and saying, I want to do a parody of Smells Like Teen, Teen Spirit, and Kurt Cobain told him, so do I. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and, you know, Weird Al has said, you know, what he calls artists and, you know, are, are there other are people about doing ones? There's, you know, there's always sort of a weeding out process. But, you know, this one for a while was the one that scared him because he just had no idea what to expect. You know, he thought that it was going to be violent or people yelling at him or he wasn't sure. But he said, you know, him and Kurt Cobain just had Great conversation. I wish I could have heard those. You know, those yeah. things you want to hear. Seriously, um, <laughs> you just had these really great conversations. About what was, the, about what was the
2: thing? What was the thing else said? Just like okay, because uh, he basically told Kurt, "I'm going to make fun of the fact that no one can understand what you're saying."
0: Oh yeah, what what was he said? He said something like, "Yeah, well neither can I," or something like that. Was, yeah, said, yeah. Uh, and Kurt said something like,
2: "Okay." <laughs>
1: yeah. You know, and you got to wonder was you know, you know, was he smacked out on that time, you know? But I also think there's sort of a tragic underscore of in utero, too, in that it's, um, I think that at this point, Cobain was so fighting the system that, you know, this is where the drugs and the depression and everything sort of began to really weigh, um, because had he been able to make the record he wanted, release the record he wanted, and be free from, you know, be popular, but not be, you know, overwhelmed, which is, I think, what they wanted. I mean, every band wants to sell records, right, and do well. But I think he wanted to basically play his concert, play their concerts in front of people that appreciated all of their records. And I think he wanted sort of to be famous, but not too famous. And I think they wanted to be successful, but not too successful. And I think that's sort of where this album is. It's kind of the cutoff from we're going to control our level of popularity and our level of sanity. Because by that point, they already made enough money to do what they need to do. And none of them came from money um, to a certain extent to where um, they needed anything. So it's kind of interesting. And the other side sort of side effect in utero is it sort of birthed the whole rise of whole, sort of on the side for that brief little... First, when that record came out, because that was roughly right around this time when Courtney Love's records were really starting to sort of mirror Kurt's, and it's kind of weird.
0: Well, and I, I you know, you talk about that wanted to play to people who like their records. It's like I remember on Unplugged where he, he was um, uh, introducing something off of Bleach and was like, "This is from our first record. Most of you don't own it."
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was about a girl actually. Oh yeah,
0: thank you, thank you. I couldn't remember the track, but I was. Yeah, thinking... it was about a
2: girl, and the interesting thing is after unplugged, and I know we're going off in utero That's for a minute, okay. but um, the interesting thing is after unplugged, I seem to recall yeah. that a lot of radio stations started playing not the unplugged version of about a girl, although some people did but they played, they went back and got the album version of it and called it a new single.
1: Wow. Yep. Yeah, I remember that <laughs> because they didn't like anything on the new record. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of fascinating. So yes, in utero is 20. If you have not heard it, listen to it. If you've heard it, I urge you to listen to it with fresh ears. I dig it out every couple of months and, um, yeah, it's one of those things you should own. Not necessarily play every day unless you're insane. But um, definitely something I think that should be marked on its anniversary. And, and keeping this party started, uh, Linda Ronstadt, formerly known as Mrs. George Lucas, for some of you, um, recently re- uh, released her memoir, Simple Things, about her life and her records and her recording career, and disclosed during the whole process of that book that she has uh, Parkinson's disease, and is no longer able to sing, which is just a horrible thing you wish on, on no one. Um, but the fact that it's Linda Ronstadt who sort of just covered such a gamut of, of musical styles makes it also equally sad. And now she's sort of upped the ante as well by saying, you know, in a couple of different interviews, they said, you know, do you regret not being in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Because she's been close. She's been so close for, you know, almost 20 years. And she just said, you know, I don't care about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So my question is: one, does she? And two, um, just you know, for those our audience probably does not own a ton of Linda Ronstadt records, or they probably heard a ton of them. But just sort of weighing, if you guys want, on just how sad this is. It's just you know, whenever you hear something like this, it just breaks your. It just breaks your spirit to a certain extent.
0: Well, I, I would say that when you're. Um... It, it, it's pretty easy not to care about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when you have other stuff on your mind, like say Parkinson's. Um yeah. So I I almost think that when she goes, yeah, I, I don't care. It's like, I don't. At this point, she probably doesn't. She really doesn't care.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: but her I, books I doing well. And I think, and I, I think her interpretation of besides, I don't care. It's sort of like, I only did, like, three rock records, so I'm not really sure why the Hall of Fame wants me anyway.
1: Yeah, but her stuff with the songbook stuff is amazing, where she does yeah. sort of, like, the songs, the great American talk, you know? Well,
2: um, no, and I think, I, I think part of what she's saying is, I did so many different types of records that I only did, really, maybe three or four actual rock records before I did other stuff.
1: Yeah. So... Yeah, well, I think her biggest problem is that Don Henley is championing her to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and if she just tell him to shut up, that she might get in. Hmm.
3: Mmm.
1: Sorry, I just hate the Eagles that much. Um, <laughs> but wow. no, I just, I just think you know, uh, looking back to when Johnny Johnny Cash said that he had Parkinson's, just how. You heard that, and it was just, like, so overwhelmingly sad. And now Linda Ronstadt, whose career is comparable in many ways to Johnny Cash's, you know, you just you just hate to see someone who has still probably a very good creative spirit not able to express themselves through the one thing that they love doing. It's just really sad.
0: I would agree. What is it, 11 Grammys?
1: 11 Grammys, yep. yeah. Yeah. Which I did and not know. I'm like, I didn't and realize.
2: And I really like, didn't. And she's like, I have no idea where any of them are. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh
1: wow. That's awesome. That's awesome.
2: He's like, I'm just not an awards person. I don't know where any of them are. I think the first she was there was a quote in the thing that that I that that we had sent for the research that there was a quote where she said, um. I think when I won my first one, I put it in the back of a, in the back seat of a rental of a rental car that drove me from the show, and I don't think I took it out when I got out of the car, and I'm <laughs> not sure where it went. Wow! And there you have it.
1: Wow! And speaking of sad and tragic, and just uh, kind of I hate to use the word appalling, but I shall. This part of the podcast could be summed up in, my, in in one simple word: Miley. Uh, are we still analog start.
2: here? <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> ah. Well, technically, rock um, balls are analog.
1: That's true. <laughs> but I don't even know where to start. What I just, what I was, let's talk about Molly Cyrus. Gee, where do we start? Gentlemen, take it well, away.
0: <laughs> well, like I said, I, I saw the picture of her um, basically – riding the wrecking ball, wearing work boots, and with her, why did I let Grace Jones cut my hair haircut? And I, I, as I asked, I said, this, this, it looks like she fell asleep at a party, had somebody steal all her clothes, shave her head, and then she had to put on some work boots so she could at least drive the car home when she woke up the next morning. <laughs> I, I don't understand. First of all, I watched the, um, the bit from the VMAs, and is okay. All right, I'll just say this: I own a penis. All right, I own one, and I did not find anything about that attractive in the least. Is there something about what she was doing that was designed to make men? That was designed to repel men. Is that?
1: Is there? Well, there's 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 the fundamental issue: that one, we're already married. Two, she's twenty. Yeah. Three she's twenty, and four she's twenty and doesn't make very good records, so these things tend to make it all unappealing
3: um, so beyond I, I, I that do,
0: beyond that if you' set that aside, number five is uh, what what are you doing? Why is your tongue hanging out? Are you having a stroke? What is going on um,
1: well i will I will defer to perhaps the fact. Athletic son gave her a stroke. I I I could put that out there because those records are pretty fucking terrible in and of themselves. But we'll put that on the back burner right now for a different podcast. Um,
0: <laughs> Artists who can give you a stroke—that's
1: the um, big topic. No, <laughs> um, uh,
2: Billy. Smarter. I haven't. Fe- no, uh, I'm sorry. <clears throat> oh,
1: I haven't right. felt this. <clears throat> you know, for the most part, I try to. Uh, and I talking about this a a little bit on on justice. We try to sort of keep up with a lot of the pop stuff, even though we don't necessarily like it. We try to sort of be familiar with it just because osmosis or whatever. But this is one of those instances where I'm like, I'm the old man that doesn't get what the kids are doing. And it's very weird for me. It's a weird, awkward position for me to be in because I don't get it. Now, yeah. having said that, I thought about this. And I'm like, you know why I don't get this? It's because fucking Madonna did it when I was a kid. And is she Madonna? No. Then the ball game is over. So that's part of my thinking. Um, you know, and I, I, I have this image in my head of like Madonna and Cyndi Lauper watching her on TV somewhere just going, oh, honey, really? You know, and which I can live with the haircut, you know, because... I lived in 1987, so, you know, that doesn't kill me. But it's just the fact that she's so thin. I mean, Do You know what this reminded that's...
2: me of, honestly? Because we've seen this before. Okay. Besides Madonna. Samantha Fox. Remember Samantha Fox?
0: I
1: tried not to. Thank you.
2: <laughs> but at least back
0: in the day, she looked attractive.
2: Well, so, yes, and I don't remember kind of, her. I don't kind of remember her doing me of that,
0: but I don't remember her doing any sort of dance move that made me go, "What the fuck is that?"
2: No, and, and I'll tell you why this reminded me specifically of Samantha Fox. Oh, please do. Uh, because Samantha Fox was trying to build a career that did not involve, you know, her previous career, uh, which is exactly what Miley's trying to do. Miley is trying to forge a new career. To basically erase the previous one, uh, in her case being you know a basically a puppet for the Disney Channel, um, and and in Samantha Fox's case not being a puppet for the Disney Channel in the opposite direction, um, but that's what made me think about it, and uh, both similarly have kind of that diff that same sort of. They're not really songs aesthetic, more of not songs. Um, the fact that they're horrible, horrible dance records. Not even in terms of not even in terms of quality, because you know you can always argue Madonna as you know quality, and you can hold up finger quotes about that. But you know at least what she did was provocative. You know, at least, you know, there was at least an artsy explanation. She had an artsy explanation for all of it that you could kind of nod off and go, okay.
3: All right.
1: Huh? It didn't sound like white trash when she talked about it. Exactly, yeah.
2: She had sort of an artsy sort of explanation for it that you could kind of nod your head and go, okay, okay. She can, she can quote – and she could at least quote an artist and, 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 okay, this is what we were doing based on a French painting from blank, um, and then move on. Miley is riding a wrecking ball, topless, um, with work boots on. I don't really, really know what that is supposed to be other than – Is it
0: a reference to some porn version of Wreck-It um, Ralph
2: that I don't know about? Something about that. You know? I don't know. But it's it's it's, it's and, and the thing that again the thing that links Miley and Samantha Fox is it, how exceedingly awful the music still is outside of the imagery, which is still awful. So I I don't know I she she's selling records. That's all I can say. But I don't know. Is this gonna work? Is this gonna be? Oh, long yeah, well, Term for her. I don't know. But but this isn't
0: this isn't sustainable.
2: No, it's not. It's not. Well, it's not sustainable. They said uh, that they the said records that... are shit, basically. That's what, that's what that is.
1: Now, uh, oh my god, I can't even believe we're going here, but... Uh, <laughs> fuck. Um, it sort of follows the Britney Spears pattern, you know? I mean, and people dismissed her after her first two albums, and, you know, she came back. Um
3: I think and though on in the
1: Brittany's other, case. On the Brittany's other side case, of the coin Britney saves although... it by good production though.
2: She does have some yeah. really good producers behind her and Miley doesn't even have that.
1: Yet. She's only twenty. Yeah. So within four years she's gonna have it down, you know. Yeah. But I think I think the the first thing I saw Liz when I saw this, um, other than just feeling, you know, for one of the few times in my life just mortified, dirty, and also sort of like Okay, I wish I never saw that. Um, the other thing that I thought was, wow. You know, I, to, 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 to paraphrase a, a, a movie, what's your damage, Heather? I mean, how <laughs> fucked up is this kid? I mean, you have, let's peel away the layers here. Like, right? first, you're the son, uh, the daughter, I'm sorry, of fucking Billy Ray Cyrus. Okay? That's got to be just bizarre. Right. I'm sorry. It's just got to be. Then there's the whole Hannah Montana thing and the cult of that. And you're always doing an need to behave and act a certain way and be propped up and molded and sculpted and sort of pushed around sort of probably emotionally and uh, mentally. And then there's, you know, your own self developing as a woman and as an artist who has things you want to say. Right. You throw that through all of that through a blender, then something fucked up's going to come out. I mean, it, it would almost have to, you know? And half of me is like, good for you. You're getting rid of this Molly Cyrus bullshit. You're saying, fuck you to the system, and you're doing all the punk rock things that somebody should do that was like sort of created by the man, right? But then I think about the monkeys and how they sort of did the same thing. But they had talent. They said, fuck you to the system. We're going to do it our own way. And the results weren't tragic and horrific. Well, they had Pat
2: and Jack Nicholson. That sort of helps.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, she's got some (laughs) friends, though. I mean, she's got some pretty big friends behind her. I mean, she's on a couple of hip-hop records, you know. Um, But I think, you know, uh, with Britney, you know, she also went from from the time that she's sort of like the teen pop star to where Britney is now there was sort of a middle phase of development, right? Yeah. it wasn't necessarily her best careers, but there's a middle phase. It's almost like Molly Cyrus completely went out of that phase. It's like, it's like when you have a daughter and she goes from being 17 to 25 without having the life experiences in between that. And it's kind of, you know, there's a sense of emotional stuntness, I think there. And, I think she does have an artistic side and I think she has some creative things she wants to say. I just think she has no idea how to say any of it or do any of it. I don't think she uh, knows really what she wants to do and how she wants to say it and what her sort of life goal is. I don't think she's... I think she's sort of lost in the career of who she is as an artist. But then she's got... People tell her one way, you know, five ways to Sunday what to do. So I'm trying to look at this through some sort of sense of uh, common sense. And I still can't find one.
0: No. You know,
1: I'm glad we just did. Someone else looked at this and just went, what the fuck was that? Because I didn't get it. You know, I mean.
0: Well, but I mean, uh, but here's the thing is here's the bit I don't get is that it struck me as it wasn't like. Okay, I'm gonna do something really bizarre just to fuck with people, because it, it, you know. I would even I would even understand that, right? I'm I'm fine with let's let's go strictly da da on your ass and and fuck with your mind. I can even respect that, but it's like it, it it looked like it was just trying to do something extraordinarily ugly, and pretend that it was sexy, which I don't understand at all, because it's like. I think what was it? There was a I read somewhere that they interviewed Cher, and they mentioned oh, this.
1: Oh, fair interview on Letterman about, about this was really interesting.
0: What was it on Letterman? I, I only read about it. She was a well. She
3: was.
1: A, I, I. She might have said something before that, but I saw her on Letterman, and she was very much sort of like talking about this. And she's like, you know, um, far be it from me. She's like, I paraded around a battleship in, you know, nets. For God's sakes, in my 50s, I'm in no position to uh, critique this woman or say anything horrible. But I also understand everything that she's gone through because the age she is at now is the ages where I was at when I was coming through with Sonny. And it's a very hard world to be in. But having said that, she's like, sister, pull back, you know, um, But, you know, there's somebody pulling the strings because she goes, I mean, you got to admit, she's playing her cards, right? She does the VMA Awards. She does that, whatever the hell that is. Um, Then she follows that up by being on the cover of Rolling Stone. And now she's even on host Saturday Night Live. So her stock is only going up with all of this. And somebody, Mm -hmm. whether it's her manager, her agency, her label or whatever, someone has orchestrated a very well thought out plan and a package of how we get Molly Cyrus from A to B to C with absolutely no sense of moral conviction or scruples, which, you know, far be it from us to say, you know, we want our pop music to have moral convention and scruples in it, but it is weird that this is just so much A to B to C and you can just see the machinery running. You can totally yeah. see uh, you know, somebody's like this. We want We want her to be the next Lady Gaga. We're going to make it happen so hard. We're going to break her. And that's kind of what I think this is. You so
3: know? I guess.
2: So I guess the question then becomes: Okay, what is she going to do when everybody is actually paying attention to her? When she does, she have something to say afterwards? And do we have any evidence of that so far? Because I, I, just doesn't look like it.
0: No. Well, it's I, here. Here is the quote that I found.
1: Um, but they said that about Katy Perry
2: too. I I still haven't seen that from Katy Perry
1: either, honestly. But Katy Perry again has the production, and she does. She a, does a presentation that that's different from this. So never well, worry.
0: that's well, that's that's this was the quote. Basically, says, um, Cher said, if she'd come out naked and it was beautifully done, I would have said, "You go, girl." I don't care about that. I just don't like to see things done badly. I just thought all of it was terrible. Outfit, terrible. Dancing, terrible. Singing, average. Performance, terrible. If she'd just come out there and kicked ass, even though I don't think I would have loved it, I would have respected it, and I would have appreciated it. So I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing. It, lo- it, it wasn't like a well-executed, well-produced thing. It just, yeah. it just looked like ass, and not even a good sort of ass. A sort of falling out of a flesh-colored bodysuit sort of ass. So, anyway. It was was
3: just, yeah,
1: it was a train wreck in
3: every sense
0: of the word. Yeah, you're you're over the intercom,
1: Rob. Yeah, it was a train wreck in every sense of the word.
0: Yes. You know,
1: and it's sad to see that, too. You just don't know um, what to think when you see that happen. You know, you just, it makes you lose sort of all hope, all hope for an artist when that happens. It's just really a mess. And the sad thing is it's I think she's gone down the rabbit hole and there's no way out now. You know, there's just um nothing she can do, I think, to sort of gain respect out of her career now. You know, she's gonna have to pull one hell of a rabbit out of her hat because everyone now I mean, she's already written you know, she does this move to be taken as an artiste and she's Well just she's been gonna have to come yet. with
2: substance now. At some point soon.
1: Yeah, and you know, I'm not even sure. You know, I'm not even sure Danger Mouse or um, you know uh, anyone can. I don't even, I don't even think Mick Ronson can help her. You know, I mean it's. Oh, oh, well. Ronson can help
2: everyone. He just adds horns. <laughs>
1: um.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Toughly, she I don't think. Horns, not whores. I, I think, toughly, even if you got the, the Tower of Power and the Roots and, you know, the horn section from Fishbone, I don't even know if there's enough horns in the world. <laughs>
2: I don't know that there's enough. You know you know, we're just encouraging Mark Ronson to produce a Miley Cyrus album now, are we? I
0: dare Mark, Mark Ronson.
2: <laughs> I don't
0: encourage. I fucking double-dog dare him. I'm Your mission, for- Mr.
1: Ronson. Um... <laughs> I'm waiting for the comfort of fairy tale of New York with Molly Cyrus and CeeLo. That's what I'm waiting for.
0: Oh, oh God. Oh. Oh, I feel nauseous.
2: Had to do that to him, didn't
0: you? Oh. Oh, it hurts.
1: Thank you. My work is done. <laughs>
0: that
1: Hold was the,
2: the pen and walk away. That
0: was the musical reference of like a Mola Ram... Pull out your heart and show it to you beating <laughs> Christ.
1: So it was like it was like telling you Ola Ray and James are away at the same time. Okay, I'll stop. And uh quickly switching away from the train wreck horror driving off the freeway that is you know who. Thank uh, we're gonna turn to... but I, I do think it's worth mentioning because it's an interesting contrast to you know, going from Kurt and the Molly Cyrus of talking about sort of the idea of fame. I think it's an interesting contrast of, let's just say styles. Um, <laughs> um, but that kind of moves us into our main topic, which we alluded to earlier, which is we would call back in the old days, you know, how to do the perfect mixtape. Now it being the year that it is, ideally the mixtape, unless you have a like-minded, Partner, that you can say make a mixtape and hand it to them, and then pray they have a working set player. It's not really practical. So taking this to a large scale, um, let's say you're burning a CD or making a Spotify list for someone, whether it is a girl you want to go out with, kidlet, are you listening? Uh, perhaps it is, um, uh, <laughs> ladies. <laughs> perhaps, yeah. Um, you know, perhaps it's how you share this amazing gifted music with someone else now without the physical, I mean, because before when you had the mixtape, there was the making the tape and the grueling selection, high fidelity-esque pain of selecting the perfect songs to go on the mixtape. Then there was how to decorate it and label it. And then there was the act of physically giving them the tape and then running into the person or talking to them to find out, did they like it? Um, there was that whole aspect of it. Now, with a Spotify list, it's out there for so many people to see. Do you get that sort of intimacy with it? Um, how do you make – I want to word, use the word mixtape, but to apply it to a sort of term outside of that technology, because really
2: – It's a playlist. Uh, it's something a playlist
1: quite playlist. Yeah. yeah. How, do you, how do you make a curated playlist of songs that you would like to connect with another person or share with another person that works in the same way as a mixtape, sort of that culture of sharing music. How do you do that now?
0: Well, I mean, you can't. Um, Because part of the thing is, I mean, even with a CD, with a a tape, you had the ability to, um, in essence, I mean, I, I would always have a deal where I could do two decks going into one, so I could actually do uh i could i i could put in sound effects or different snippets of other things and then go from one song to another without having to do like on most CDs where unless you're like basically making one big long wave file that you have then edited um or or making basically groups of songs that have been spliced together like you know uh something out of like planet perfecto's podcast or something then your, your, the tape was the way to be able to flexibly create something like that. And you also had on the mixtape the I need to start big and I need to decide how my first side's going to end and I need to decide how my second side's going to come back in and you need to decide how I'm going to finish, right?
3: Yeah. And,
0: yep. and you had the constraint of, oh, I have 60 minutes, 90 minutes to do this in. Now, granted, yes, on a CD you have, what is it, I think 74 minutes or something like that
3: uh, that yeah. you could
0: put on there, but it's just not the same because there's no sides. You have a beginning, you yeah. have an end. Um, with a Spotify and, playlist, uh, oh, and what you could do on a CD, though, is you could still do liner notes. You could create your own liner yeah. notes, and those were very important. Um, whether, whether you included the song titles or not, whether you included artwork or not, whether whatever, that was important. What I miss about Spotify most is the ability to create my own cover art and my own, play, uh, my own uh, liner notes. And you do not have the ability on Spotify at all to do any mixing of songs or throwing any other sound effect bits in there whatsoever. So it is just a playlist. It can be a nice playlist. It can be a well-thought-out, well-curated playlist. But you cannot... Do the same thing as a mixtape. I would contend.
2: Well, I, I seem to have a lot of these floating around. So I, yeah, I,
0: you are the expert, Toughly. What uh, the hell? Why am I talking, I, I, Take the I, stage.
2: I, I, I suppose I could disagree with that. Um, <laughs> slightly. No, please, you're the expert. Um, well, no, I mean, I, 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 what the things that I that I the thing that I do with Spotify is the thing that I did you know it, it's basically okay i'm imagining it's still the radio shows that i was doing on the internet before mm. you know copyright law crackdown but um you know it, it's basically that same thing i mean randomizer is i did randomizer 2 hours so 2 hours that's that's the constraint i automatically have created the constraint that says it's 2 hours um For something like the playlist, which is basically me doing songs based on loosely held together by some sort of theme that's been stuck in my head for the week that led up to the podcast being posted. Um you know, it's it's loosely based to okay, unless I do something like I think I've only done one playlist that is exactly seventy tracks long. Uh, which was a playlist segment called By the Numbers, which I was basically doing songs from one to 70, basically seeing how long I could do it. Right. Basically. Um, I stopped at 70 cause I just thought I can't find anything after 71. So I could find 72, but I couldn't find 71. So I had to stop at 70. Um, I think that's the furthest that I've gone, but usually the playlist is usually somewhere in between at least the hour 15 track gap, you know, <laughs> Um, so a part of it, I think is if you build constraints for yourself, uh, that, okay, imagine that you still have a tape because you've spent so long working in, you know, units of, you know, how much airtime I can have or how many tracks I can get on a CD or that sort of thing that, you know, I, I'm still working under that despite the fact that I don't really have to, um, and I think that's where you get the creativeness out of it. Is like, what can you put there? What, how how do you still time yourself under an hour when you when you don't really have to? That oh. that's that's the trick to it. Well, but
0: see, here's here's the thing: is that it's it's not that you can't get creative. Don't don't get me wrong. It's just, and, and it sounds like you're talking about you were doing playlists to begin with. You're now still doing playlists. Yeah. I'm talking about I would create a mixtape that was an entity unto itself, that yep. was that was like. From like I said, you had a specific start, you had a specific finish. You you would you would have your your two sides, and you would blend it all together. Yeah. So it really was a it wasn't a tape. I mean, it was a mixtape in that the songs were actually mixed in with other bits of media. When, when you know when I had access to MP3s off of or waves off of a yeah. computer, I would I would put those into the tape as well. So I mean, it was a fully orchestrated thing, not just. It's a playlist that happens to be on a tape. Yeah, so, and so, it's
1: also
3: well. I mean, you put head. together
2: something that you know songs that have a narrative, and you try to build a narrative. Oh yeah, that, yeah. That that isn't there. And I think that's 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 the great part of doing that. I think you know even even now if you don't have a constraint, how long can you keep it up? And does oh, yeah. it work? Does it work outside of that narrative?
0: And no, I think that's, no exactly. And I think yeah. and like I said, you can still do the narrative piece of it. You're absolutely right. You can still do it. The the playlist part of it, of of doing a curated, this is a list of songs that I have tied together because of something, even if it's just like you said, this is what I had on my mind this week. It doesn't matter yeah. what the theme is. It's just that the actual construction of a mixtape itself, you can't do on Spotify yet. Now, what I think would be awesome is if you had a way of doing that, because I know they have, you know, what is it, um... Even online, some some bands have put out. Here's all my bits and pieces. Remix me something, right? Yeah. So it'd be yeah. kind of awesome if you eventually got to the point where you had a Spotify. And, and granted, toughly, that's the that that's the other thing too is that with Spotify, you have scats of songs to choose from, and yeah. so so you can basically the only way that you can't the, the the only reason you can't grab a song and include it in your narrative is that it's not licensed to be on Spotify. Yeah. Whereas the mixtape was, this is the stuff that I have in my library. I am trying to create a tape along this theme. And, you know, if you only have 50 minutes worth of theme, then you either need to splice something in, repeat a song, or you're fucked. I mean, there was, there was something about the constraint of it. Now, again, if you do something like, let me see if I can do this narrative only with stuff that, I don't know, like you said, has numbers of the title or something. You can create your own, but it's just the actual what I was using the, the the cassette for. You can't do yet, but I think that will come back in some form or fashion because I think there is a level of creativity to it that goes beyond just constructing a narrative or doing an awesome playlist. Yeah, that's my whole thing. So I think we're we're not in disagreement because I think. I, you know, we're in the Venn diagram of our what we've just said. I completely overlap your portion of it. Yeah. Because I'm in total agreement with you. Um, Because, I mean, I, you know, the playlist that you put out, if nothing else, what I get out of it is, oh, shit, I've never heard that before. That's awesome. Now, unfortunately, I have to go download every single thing that they've ever owned yeah. because that's how yeah. I am.
2: But, yeah, I mean, that's— And my work here is done.
0: Yeah, <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, that's like that's like Toughly walks by and goes, hey, uh, hey, Widge? Placebo, oh shit! <laughs> so that he does that to me all the time. But yeah, I mean that's that to me is 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 the disconnect. Is you can't yeah. have a mixtape that is a um, an entity unto itself, which I sort of miss. On one hand, I miss it. On the other hand, God damn, it was a lot of work.
1: <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, um, it was a lot of work. But it was also, you know. The the act of you know when you made someone a mixtape of the the person getting it knew that there was a certain amount of effort went into it, but you thought enough of that person to make yeah. them a selection of stuff. That's
3: true. Whether, yeah.
1: You know. The, I think the intent of it is what's gone. It was yes. also um if you made a mixtape for someone, it was mainly between those two person or or who the person wanted to share the tape with. Now, right. if you put a Spotify playlist, it's there. And you can't make, you know, the, the girl that sits next to you in class, you can't make her a mixtape and hand it to her during class and saying, hey, notice me, I made you a mixtape. Now it's put it on the web and 50,000 people notice well, it. And
0: you can't. You, you don't have to make it publicly accessible.
2: Yeah, you don't have
0: to.
1: Yeah, you don't have to. Yeah, you you can't yeah, share I mean, it with other but, people.
0: But here's here's the one thing, Rob. is but that you can't stop the other person from oh, no, sharing no. it like that. Well, yeah. that's true. If they want to send out a link. But. But here's the other thing that's interesting is that because of the work that went into it, um, you are putting yourself really out there. If you hand somebody a mixtape and if they don't like it, oh, my God, that was that yeah. was that was yeah. horrible. Whereas if you did a playlist, you're just like, well, you know what? This is an awesome playlist anyway. Fuck you. <laughs> and 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 the tape, unless you made a copy of it, it which you probably didn't think to do because I barely did. Right. It's no, gone. No. It's not like you can enjoy it yourself. <laughs> that was hard. All the mi- there's so many mixtapes that I've given out that I was just like, God, I wish I had a copy of that. <laughs> that was actually really yeah. good.
1: <laughs> the the other the other cool thing though too is that if you made a mixtape for someone and you gave it to them, and um, I'm going to go to the other side of the house here. If you made a mixtape, for example, to, for a girl, which most of us probably did, <laughs> um, you the idea was, oh, if you want to hear some other good stuff you know, of this artist, you know, I have that, I'll, I'll make you, I'll take that for you. There was kind of, it was a way in. Whereas now, everything's out there. So you can't really say, oh, here's this great Fishbone B side You can't find this, and I put this on a tape just for you because I know you're a fan and you want to hear
0: oh, it. Oh, right, that's true. And, yeah. you
1: know, that sort of exclusivity was like, yeah. And, you know, you also couldn't do, uh, whenever you made one, <laughs> Depending on the circumstances, but uh, with some circumstances, you would slip in little subtle things sort of like, do you get to hear, you know, when you pick out songs for people, you know, right? and that there's a certain emotional attachment to it, whether it's the blood, sweat and tears you put into it. And then the, you know, even Mm -hmm. the damn it, this track stopped. Way too soon before the next one. I cut, I, you know, I paused it wrong. It was, Let's redo it. You know, there right. were times when I would go and redo an entire side because one song got yes. fucked up. You know. Yes. Um,
0: but I would like to point out that you can have blood, sweat, and tears, or literally a track by the band Blood, Sweat, and Tears. And tears. Yes. Yes. Um, well, the the other the flip side of that, Rob, is that you're almost in the same boat in that yes, you have access to this, but because I mean, like for example. There's stuff that if I hadn't seen it on a, a, a Toughly playlist, I don't know when I would have discovered it because there's so much stuff now. It yeah. is important to have somebody who says, no, 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 no look over here. Because yeah, of- and I, think,
2: I think that's why, you know, I I, 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 I think it's important that um, <laughs> I do stuff like that. Um, but just because, you know, it's, it's all sorts of, Spotify is all sorts of raw data. Yeah. Uh, so curation is important. We want to have people going around going, no, 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 this is this is the stuff you want to look at. This is the stuff you know that we think you'll like, or whatever,
1: or it's oh, just you stuff, like.
2: or just stuff you you should try, you know. Yeah. Um, or
1: what's wrong with you? Why don't you like
2: this? I I don't. I try not to do that because what's wrong with you oh. is just the automatic beginning of the. What's wrong with you is not 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 the point. Oh well. <laughs> plus, 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 here's the thing with Randomizer. Randomizer is, and I have, I, I allot myself indulgences within the framework of I'm doing new and interesting music. So, you know, if, if for instance, the current Randomizer that is out, plug, um, has, I have dropped somewhere in the middle of it, you know, a flock of seagulls track. Why did I do that? Does it make any sense? Is there a narrative there? No, it's not. It's just, I wanted a flock of seagulls track there. Right. That's it.
1: We we would (laughs) like to, we'd like to mention too, this would be an early (laughs) flock of seagulls track. And that if it was a later flock of seagulls track, say after 1988, I would not be speaking (laughs) with Cuffley.
0: And I'd like to also point out that uh, while you shouldn't lead off with what's wrong with you, it is perfectly acceptable to lead off with the song "Baby, What's Wrong with You" by Mississippi John Hurt. Yes, so.
2: yes, yes. Just to make yes. that clear. But you know, it's it's it, well played. And again, and again, that you know the difference <laughs> oh, between John randomizer Herschel. and the thing that yeah, I call yeah, playlist exactly is 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 the, the randomizer thing is you know new and interesting, mostly new but also interesting music kind of just thrown at you and thrown into a blender with slight yeah. bit of thought.
1: Right.
3: Right. I mean, I
1: mean, Tough. I think you and I have the advantage, at least with me at the radio and you with the randomizer and that we can sort of get a fine. I have 90 minutes to screw around with and sort of bludgeon people's ears with what yeah. I think they need to hear. And it is such an amazingly like fun, awesome thing. It's like, this is mine. Nobody's messing with it. Leave me alone when I'm doing it, you know, type yeah. of thing. Um because believe me, there is a 45 minute, 45 minutes to an hour window on between Tuesdays and Wednesdays. But I am not a nice person. To, I hate it because um, that's when I just grab all the new stuff. And, 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 and that's the 30 second window. It's like, okay, here's my stack of 50 things. You got 30 seconds to impress me, you know. And you go through every track for like a little bit, you know. And it's yeah. like, okay. And after a while, you know. But the the mixtape sort of besides the fact that you learn how to give stuff to people, it's sort of taught you how to listen to music and be patient and think about putting things together. And this helps in other ways. Like, I don't know, maybe sentences. Um, I, I read this really interesting article that a guy in order to help teach composition for writers used the idea of the mixtape and sort of yeah. think of it as a, you know, uh, in terms of composition, that these are sort of things that have helped you in other aspects of your life, you know, putting A to B to C, but it also allowed you to bring in other genres and other things and sort of expand not only what you listen to and your quest to make the right list but the person you were giving it to and that was part of the beauty of it It sort of originally started with you know home taping and moved into this sort of like cultural sharing thing in a, before social you know it was social media
2: you know, before you want, was social media it's not just songs that don't just kind of go together thematically it's stuff like you know playing with fades
3: yeah right yeah
2: oh exactly <laughs> like um and i'm gonna plug randomizer again i did this thing with with the metallica track and then the frankie rose track where there's a really long fade out on for who in the bell holes there's a really long fade out on that and there's a really long fade in on the frankie rose track that follows it so it sort of feels like the jigsaw pieces kind of come together. It's kind of neat yeah, you can like do that.
3: that.
1: You can do that with just one fixed play ministry and a Brian Ferry track. Yeah. Nice. They, they both start, you know? Well, um,
0: and, and I'm reminded of the uh, talk about playing with fades. There was one tape that I was doing where there was a section in a song that was like long and not much was happening. Yeah. But I didn't have the ability to, like, now where you could go into, like, SoundForge and chop it off or something. Yeah. So I literally was like, okay, well, there's no, there's not enough, there's no way of fading anything in because I don't have anything long enough that's going to fit. So I literally had, I pulled one of the channels out, like the right channel, out of one device, plugged it into another device while it was live recording, played a sound off of some film into it that lasted like forty five seconds of somebody talking, a sample basically. Yeah. Then pulled it out, plugged it back into device number one, and was able to start the next track. <laughs> so I at least filled filled the space with something. Which again, unless you're playing around with SoundForge, you just you can't do. That yeah. just that just shows the level of which I really needed a life when I was much younger.
2: I, I, I but it also wasn't... I believe there was a certain point in, like, the early 90s where the substandard film clip that was used in everybody's mixtapes were, like, Tarantino films. Oh, no. (laughs) The Tarantino film phase?
3: No.
0: (laughs) No, no, the only time I ever used Tarantino was the the Like a Virgin speech.
2: Oh, yeah, okay.
0: Leading into a remix of Like a Virgin.
2: That's true. I, I did
0: that as well. <laughs> Again, didn't didn't we all? <laughs> uh, that's like that's like the K two boundary in uh, in, in uh, ar- archaeology, you know, in in, uh, uh, in in whatever the the tectonic plates, you know. Yeah. There's a certain level at which you go, oh, Tarantino like a virgin speech, leading into <laughs> like a virgin. Look, look this level of ash throughout the musical history of of the young. There it is. That's what it is, right there.
2: I, I think I did it twice. I did it with, uh, with 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 the "Like a Virgin" remix, and then I think I may have used the same speech to the. Okay, so the one time Thurston Moore did get into the groove, right? That I, I used it as a lead-in for that.
0: Nice. Yeah, I, I remember. I I I made a mixtape that was the. I was pissed that there was no full soundtrack of the movie Pump Up the Volume. So I went and found as many of the tracks as I could. And I literally had on this extended soundtrack, um, I recreated the bit from the film where he plays uh, Wiener Stitzel by The Descendants twice. With with Christian Slater in between them going, well, let's listen to that again. <laughs> again, truly needed a life and or therapy.
1: And, again, that movie sort of was the apex of that sort of era of culture too,
3: you know? That's yes. still a great movie. Oh, it a great really movie. is,
0: and and a very a, a very uh a a, 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 a tastic a decade tastic soundtrack.
1: Yes, for many people, that's how they discovered Concrete
0: Blonde. Uh, yeah, that was me. Then that then straight into bloodletting, and it was on from yep. there. Yes, that is that is a soundtrack we must call '90s tastic.
1: Okay, we must.
0: <laughs> you know what I mean? There's a certain feel. It's like when you listen to like something, a, a soundtrack from the '80s, like the like the Lost Boy soundtrack, which is a great soundtrack, but you must admit it is '80s tastic.
1: Yeah, it's got two good songs on it, and then you're done.
2: <laughs> and, the pretentious Elton John cover.
1: Well, but people are strange back on the Bunnyman and the and the weird. Come on, cry little children song. That's interesting for about five months, and then goes away.
0: Oh, but see, the the, the carousel song that ends it to the shock of Miss Louise, the Thomas yeah, Newman track. Too.
1: Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Anyway,
1: you know, and the other thing was like nice about mixtapes is you could just draw. I and mean, Louise, I know you at this. You could draw things from everywhere. It was great. I mean, it's just it is an era gone by. But you know, the idea. I mean, it, it's nice that the sort of essence of making a mixtape is still here, which I think it certainly still is. And I still think that everything you wanted to accomplish with doing one is still there. It's just, we've lost some of the humanity of it, I think with, with, with the advent of, of the technology, you know, um, cause there was something cool about, you know, for maybe before school or after school or something, or, you, you know, you're out with somebody and hand them, Oh yeah, I made you a mixtape. You know, there's that certain like, you know, you know at some point they're going to have to listen to that, and then there's the follow-up. Whereas online, they can sort of leave it and come back, and leave and come back, and leave and come back, which that kind of does suck. But I think the spirit of it is is, is still there. It's just I think the the practice, and I think the practice is sort of what, what we old timers would call you know the the glory of it was that you know the blood, the sweat, the tears. Well, first there was the okay, I have to make the records all go into each other. And then there was the, you know, how do I put this in order and making the recording sound right? Or sometimes it was the, damn it, I need this record to make this complete. I have to go out and get this record in order to do that, you know. Um, or I have to find this because I know it would go great between there. And, you know, it's like the, it's like all the hard work is gone from it now. And that, that's the thing that's sad for me is that, you know, yeah, it, did, it took twice as long to make them, but man, that was fun. And I, I do miss doing, you know, art and whatever you wanted to put in, you know, whether it was collages or lighter notes or, you know, then there was the, you know, you cut out letters from different things and put them on there. You know, the physical, like, artwork of the mixtape itself was also pretty cool. And I, I, sadly, because I'm an old sucker, I, I miss some of that. I don't miss glue. You don't miss glow or glue? Glue. Okay.
2: I don't miss the glue because particularly at sometimes when you're, when you were doing stuff or especially the cover art, at like four in the morning and you'd got, you'd reach that point of, I don't really want to do the gluing right now, but you, you, you feel like you're pushing yourself on to do it. I don't miss
1: the glue. Well you do the glue and then you then you can't sell the songs so on the I'm saying and you have to oh yeah. Yeah. Then there was the oh fuck, I fucked up the uh that little small strip of the of paper T D K gave me, so I have to make a case to put this in. Yeah, yeah, in yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I Oh I, yeah, I, I did those all I I made my own anyway, so and by the way, I by by glue I'd like to point out there's nothing wrong with the hip hop trio known as glue. We're speaking of the adhesive.
1: Well, you're not horsing around there, are you?
0: <laughs> I just, I want to be clear. And I also want to point out we're talking about the actual adhesive and not the band adhesive.
1: Yes, please. Because <laughs> that would be too shocking because I heard, I heard someone else in a sentence yesterday and I actually had to walk away from them because I was so appalled. I said, hey, remember that great band, Eve Six? And I had to walk away.
0: But which, which
1: band? Eve Six.
2: Oh, Eve Six?
1: Wow. Yeah, I remember? Yeah, the word was "great" about,
2: and the word "great" immediately preceded that, in a way yes.
3: that
2: instituted that they were, you know. Yeah. Okay. So they had impeccably.
1: They had impeccably great music games. and then they said, "Oh, and I saw this great show. I, I saw this show by this great band called E Six. So I'm like, okay, I gotta go. You know. Um,
0: wow. That that's I don't even know that one.
1: That's that's good. Congratulations.
0: Okay, good, good.
1: Because you are lucky, which is that you have not been harmed by the amount of bad music you've had to listen to. You no, know, you're, no,
0: you're, I I try to I try to just let it wash off me like you know water off a duck's back.
2: I just I just yeah. store it for you know moments where I can just bring stuff like that up in podcasts, i.e., a Samantha Fox.
1: Um. Yeah, but at least those records were so cheap. Like, I want to have some fun. Really, you listen to that now, and you're like, "Oh my god!" And remember, it was it was the sort of production style, the production style, the video production, and the packaging of the Samantha Fox "I Want to Have Some Fun" record was what gave us the Billy Piper record, <laughs> because that was that sort of set the model and the template for you know. 90s and noughties um, pop records in England on how to make them and produce a that sort of stocking and waterman and pre-produced stuff, you know. And then there was always the fun thing too with mixtapes where you put something at the end that never really fit anything else but totally worked. So, that was always fun. So, I mean, I, it's sad that it was gone, you know. And I know if rocks were here, she'd be lamenting the wax cylinder but, or the Edison tube. But, you know, every generation has its way of uh, forgetting sort of what came before it. And I think that as we run gleefully to making Spotify playlists, you know, the art of making a mixtape has sort of sadly gone away. Now, I will say there is something... Um, and I think toughly he, he spoke to this earlier, there is something great about having the entire thing of Spotify just to go through and move. It's done. I think there is something good about that. Don't get well, me wrong.
2: And, and there's also the thing of, you know, it's still a bit of, there's an act of, okay, this is stuff I'm putting in a sequence for a reason. Yeah. You know? And I think also, you know, to go back to the thing about the art, I mean, you could do your own blog with the links to all of this stuff and you can have your own art and you can have your own, yeah. you know, sound clips in between. You could do all of that. You, you, you know, there's still nothing saying you can't. Um, it's just not all together in one sequence. Um, but I, I think, but I think if you wanted to do it, uh, I think there, there are definitely ways where you could manipulate the code to do so. Um, yeah. If you wanted to. Um and I think I, I think that just is a different level of of I, I just don't want to code.
1: Um Yeah.
2: But uh yeah.
1: I mean I appreciate the DIY sort of aspect of it, you know.
3: Yeah.
1: And the sort of commonality. I mean, there was like when you made a mixtape for someone, all bets were off. Everyone was on the same playing field in terms of mixtape yeah. mix meaning. If you and another guy on the football team were both making a mixtape to give to someone, you know, you amped your game up to do better mixtapes than that other guy. Mm-hmm. So you dug deeper into sort of your collection or other collections or to get something than that person. It wasn't just, well, I'll just go online, doo do do, boom. I mean, it was well, much I do, easier. I, You
2: know, actually, I do, kind of look at that, I do kind of look at that the same way because, you know… It's not just me making playlists for, for people I know. I'm intending other people to find it. Yeah. Um, and I'm also in competition with lots of other people on Spotify who are doing the same thing.
3: Um, yeah.
2: So so there is sort of a sense of competition to it.
3: This is why I stay is
1: Spotify, because putting shit in order drives me nuts. <laughs> you know... I'm actually in the, in the process now of going through all of my uh, cassettes. Yeah. Particularly the mixtape ones that I've either gotten or um, and sort of like reading through them going, do I want this one, not want them? Um, and Or if I don't have the song, try to figure out what the hell it is. And um, yeah, that's part of what sort of started this whole aspect of the conversation. I was just like, God, why didn't we have Spotify in 1987? It would have made everything much easier. Yeah.
3: Um,
1: So, but it's interesting. I mean, I think that um, it ties into the sort of the idea of the the cassette not going away, the sort of mixtape culture. I, I guess definitely your argument is that it's still there, but it's adapting and changing.
2: Yeah, and and calm, think,
1: calm down. Honestly, we'll get there.
2: Honestly, I think iTunes. If you want to go back to like even iTunes, I mean, Steve Jobs based iTunes off the mixtape sort of idea of why don't you just buy tracks because you're looking for a track that you need to fit something else, you know? Yeah. And I I, I think I think a lot of this has been pushed by mixtape culture, you know. A lot of this, yeah. a, a lot of the technological advancements we have as far as music goes is basically sort of based on yeah. that, I need that one track to do this, yeah. you know? And, and so uh, I, I think it's still there. I just think uh, it, it's kind of mutated in, in, in some ways.
1: And I know you talked about the randomizer, but in case someone...
2: You, you're
0: gone away again.
1: There we go. Um, and toughly, I know you talked about the randomizer a little bit, but just in case someone's listening and hadn't heard before... Could you tell them, perhaps, where to find
3: it?
2: Uh, What you do is you can go to Spotify. Um, If you're on Spotify, you can do a search on me, and then you can find it, Um, because they're all publicly available. Actually, most of my playlists are publicly available. Um, But if you also follow me on Twitter, uh, at Toughly, um, I will post a link to when the new one's available. Uh, that I typically do. It usually comes out every two weeks or so. Um and then I also have uh a blog which is at randomworks dot com which I also post links to, to this stuff too. So I uh, I basically do the whole once I have it I share it and put it out to like all the services and stuff. I think Google Plus too, but I I, I occasionally I forget Google Plus because You and
0: everyone <laughs> on the planet.
3: Everyone um, forgets <laughs> Google Plus. So um
2: but yes, and if you go
0: to the uh uh to the post for this podcast or any of the soundboard podcasts, um there should be a link to uh toughly on Spotify there as well. Yay. Yay.
1: So that is sort of a look at the mixtape and where we've come. And it closes our, you, you see what I did there? It's like it's it looks like a tape loop. Yeah. Cool,
0: huh? Yeah, it's that's yeah. good.
1: Uh, yeah, I know. Um,
0: You're really going old school.
1: No, I just, I I literally thought of it right before we started this. I'm like, oh, wow, I put this without even thinking, you know. So it does actually affect, I think, when you made these things, it does sort of affect how you think about everything now. Um, But that winds down this edition of the soundboard. Do either of you gents have anything you want to say or recommend or send everyone off into the the, uh, ether (laughs) with?
2: Uh, Wombat, your body
1: is a weapon.
0: Uh, and <laughs> I have put together, speaking of playlists, I have put together a playlist with sample bits of the summer picks that we mentioned earlier in the show. And, uh, there'll be a link to that, uh, on our Facebook page and also on the page for this particular episode.
1: As well as... of course yeah, and I of course forgot every record I wanted to talk about at that point, but that's okay.
0: That's all right. Uh, but yes, and and links to find Toughly and Rob on KDHX and all that stuff uh, is included. But uh, but you should you should seek them out because they know things.
2: And you know, if you want to buy any of the music we've talked about on this show, you can go to uh, needcoffee.com dot com slash amazon. That is and, uh,
0: that is very true. Toughly, you can do that. And even if you are. Uh, as you said like steve jobs wanted you to buying them by the track i don't care if it's a 99 cent mp3 or if it's uh you know if it's a crazy tape deck sort of thing that you want to buy just so you can be all retro and stuff it doesn't matter it all adds up with kickbacks and helps us keep the lights on
1: literally it really does
0: yeah li- literally, it literally really does and and there is no band called keep the lights on so we actually mean keeping the lights on <laughs>
1: So thankfully, whew, I'm no longer in the chair for another couple months. So next time we will hand this off to another fine chance from the soundboard. And until then, we will talk to you later. Thank you.
2: Bye. You know, I'm thinking of a way we could end this. It's like if we had a noise with the tape tape messing up. clicking <laughs> You know how it goes? You know how it's, for a second it goes backwards and then it's underwater and then it just stops.
3: Uh, click. Or, or listen to this, you you could actually just have this.